What's up, everybody, and welcome to uh, Gaming History 101's uh, official podcast with old people talking about old games. Hey. Uh, I'm one of your hosts. My name is Fred Rojas, uh, and across the way from me, um, faithful as always, actually, these days, is uh, mm-hmm. Trees. What's up, Rob? What's going on? I am, old, uh, old people. That's yeah. supposed to be. Yeah, are you kidding me? We're over like <laughs> 18, so that puts us like ahead of almost every gamer out there. <laughs> Man. All right. Yeah, yeah, if my Call of Duty playing is any indication, uh, <laughs> apparently the average person is uh, is about four years old, racist, and um, homophobic <laughs> from the sounds of it. It's a good mix. It's yeah, a good right? Co- it's a good cocktail of a person. <laughs> but, uh, but today we're going to be talking about something they know nothing about. We're going to be talking about a, a company that was fucked way before they came around, which is mm-hmm. Atari. So, um, yeah, he, where, where's had, the cricket sound effect? You should Shit. Have fucking some applause. We should have had some sick of applause put in there. Make that sound a little better. I'm going to have to go Atari. back and throw some cr- crickets in for the, uh, for the recorded show. But, uh, but yeah, tonight we're going to be talking about Atari. Um, Atari oh, yeah. Inc. specifically, um, which uh, we'll talk about it a little bit, but not to be mistaken for what would later go on to be Atari Games. Atari Games, Tengen, things like that. Those were kind of the arcade and software division of Atari um, that aren't really part of Atari proper once the company splits. But that's a long ways from what we're going to start off talking about. So, mm. um, so Trees, I don't know. Are you, are, you a, are you an Atari guy? Are you familiar with the Atari? I'm very familiar with Atari. Right. I w- I'm of I'm 39, mm-hmm. right? So I am firmly of the Atari generation. I was six or seven when the Atari was a new thing. It's a big deal. <clears throat> it, it, yeah, it was like you know a lot of people now, a lot of people listening out the PlayStation One or the N64 or whatever was their first yeah. thing. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But for me. You know, going down the street over my friend's house to play circus or some shit, that was like rich kid stuff. That was like, this kid got the Atari. <laughs> shit got wood paneling on it that matches stereo to TV. Sweet. So, yes, I remember, yeah, and I remember going going to the, the, the toy store mm-hmm. and buying one. I remember bringing it home the box. So, yeah, vivid memories the old, of, of the, the Atari. And that's the 2600 we're talking about. So Yes, the VCS later called uh, the 2600. So, And yes. actually, we're going to have a uh, guest joining us right now. So nice. Let's, oh, okay, hold on. Is he old <laughs> or young? <laughs> Is he an old person? I don't like you say? know. <laughs> old. Actually, we got uh, we got some technical difficulties. Hold on, this is all my fault, so blame me. But uh, good, good gives me time to drink this beer. Yes, absolutely. So um, you know, la- last week I um I was mixing energy drinks with cold medicine, and then on on my show Easy Mode I was mixing um no la- no beer with on your show, mm-hmm. and then on Easy Mode my show I was mixing energy drinks with cold medicine, and tonight. Uh, mixing beer and energy drinks with cold medicine. Nice. So, so it should go well. Yeah, yeah. Let's just let's just taper it on. In fact, I've got some hookers <laughs> over here, so we can just what? get a bag of blow and just make a night of it. Well, now. 
How am I supposed to concentrate on Atari? <laughs> now I'm thinking hey, of hookers. Yars Revenge. This is not what this is about. Oh my god. <laughs> hookers are so much better than Yars Revenge. That's a box quote right there. <laughs> hookers are so much better than so many things video game related. Well, I mean, yeah, to be fair, like Yars Revenge is, is yeah. not better than most things in this world. Um, mm-hmm. But, uh, but yeah, so um, while we're doing all that, I guess I could get into uh, how Atari got started. <clears throat> so in 1966, you guys may be familiar with a little gentleman known as Nolan Bushnell, uh, the, uh, the self-proclaimed, I think, father of uh, video of, games. Of video games, yes, of or at least of Atari. Mm-hmm. Um, those those were the good old days. I, that's when they would make a game in a weekend. One guy. Right. You know, they'd be like, we need this game by uh, Monday. All right. It's, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yep. Yep. It's called E.T. It's, uh, you need to release it now um, so that it, everything's good for for when this when this all comes together. Um, you know, uh, and, and if, if it screws up, we'll just bury him in the desert. <laughs> mm-hmm. Okay. I think I've got everything ironed out. We're going to add a, uh, a special guest. So let's see here. This is working. No, of course I'm on the edge it's not. Of, I suck. I'm, my, I'm on the edge of my there seat. There we go. And I hear white noise. Hello, hello. Hello. What's up, Derek? Hello, Gaming History 101. <laughs> How you doing, man? I'm doing great. Excellent. Uh, I, I'm pleased to announce uh, for the first time ever on our show, we've got Derek, the uh, the partial lifeblood of, um, ga- uh, of allgames.com. The, the the wonderful place that hosts us. So, uh-huh. what's up? First time I've actually been on any of the shows on the network. Um, I usually like to stay in the background, uh, but I this but Atari is a special <laughs> special sub. He was drawn out by Atari. Yeah, I came out. I came out of hiding just for Atari. If you know Derek, uh, especially for his interactions with our show, uh, it's very clear of that. Um, in mm. fact, I still think you think I'm an idiot for not picking up that Lynx right by my house for for pretty much dirt cheap. I don't think it. Know it. <laughs> <laughs> and there you have it. <laughs> That's you mad. I got really mad yesterday where my, <laughs> like I have a bunch of old Jaguar games at uh, back back. I moved to L.A. and back in Virginia, I still have a bunch of uh, old Jaguar games. And I gave my mom. I was like, let's go ahead and let's go ahead and sell them on eBay or whatever. And and like I just get cut it. I don't care because uh, I'm never gonna hook it back up again. If I do, I just buy a new one. And oh. so she took to a she took it to a place and she she was like, "Oh, Derek, you're gonna give me a hundred dollars for these Jaguar games." I'm like, "You know what? Go for it. Go <sighs> go." And then uh, she called me the next day and she's like, "Yeah, I was talking to your brother and he said half of those games were his." I was like, "What?" <laughs> give him so I'm gonna send him half of it. it. Came out perfect. It was it was exactly half of the games. I was like, "Wait a minute." Which games did he say were? And I was like, started like he's like checkered flag. I'm like, no, like, <laughs> that was my shit. <laughs> Defender two thousand. Like what? Defender Doom. You had two copies of Doom. Like I know I had two copies of Doom because you need two copies to play two player. <laughs> you do, yeah. Using the Jag Links. Yep. Well, had one of them, like no, no, no. You know what? Sure thing, ma. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I was about to start a family feud over the Jaguar. 
Oh, it's my fault. I should have contacted you earlier because uh, that's the one <laughs> console I don't have. It's the console that's missing. And, like, I can get a Jaguar, but, like, if you piecemeal the games, you get screwed. You have to buy them in a group. Mm. Yeah, because so. uh, people, people like to do the thing where, like, well, Chemistry 2000, one of the craziest games ever, so that was going to be, like, $34. Like, well, no, 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 no. They, nah. the, they made, like, a of all the games, that's the one they made a ton of. So you Hell, yeah. 15 mm-hmm. cents. I'm sure there are Tempest 2000s buried in a desert somewhere. Like, I mean, there were a lot. I mean, Tempest 2000 is like the $12 game. It's it's the cheapest of the group. Um, and then Aliens vs. Predators, the hot topic one. It was. Ooh, yeah, that's a good one. I don't know if I can say good, but Cannon Fodder was great, but I have it on the 3DO. Mm-hmm. One of the, uh, here's a piece of trivia for uh, Aliens vs. Predator, which some people probably know, uh, where. One of the things, the Jag uh, back in the day was great, but it was still kind of low on memory and stuff. So they only had this, and and that game, I think it used giant sprites for the aliens. Yeah. They only had memory to have, the, to have uh, the aliens come at you from one, like always facing you. So right. you'll never see the aliens from the side or from the back. They're always facing you. And they're like, <laughs> it works out because they're so aggressive. Like, yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah, they were like uh, cardboard cutouts. Like, no matter you tried to strafe around them, they would like, they're always facing you. Like, they never, they never change. That's a good game, man. Man, as the as the marine, that first... game is tough as nails. Because once you kill an alien, if you step in its pool, it it, it hurts <laughs> you. Like, it was legit. Like, I mean, it. Oh. Yeah, that was the first. That was the first game that scared me as an adult, sort of playing it. Like the first horror like, before Resident Evil. That was like. When you were, I remember being in the marine training maze. Mm-hmm. This is some part up there, and you kind of lost, and you can hear like the, the the predator like doing that clicking sound and saying over here, which is oh, weird because yeah. why would he be saying that from the movie? <laughs> but either way, it was scary though. It's a good game. Carmack actually said that the best, the couple Carmack said Carmack actually wrote the Jag version of Doom. Uh, John Carmack himself wrote it, and. Uh, the developers actually said that the Jag version of Rayman and uh, and NBA Jam were the best versions. I've heard that actually. I did a cover. Uh, I did coverage on the original Rayman because I, I hadn't played that game in a long time. Went back to it, much like Crash, as Trees and I were talking about for next week's show, and a lot harder than I remembered. And I <laughs> do know that yeah, the Rayman version on Jaguar. I mean, if I ever get a Jag, and I'm sure I will someday, that is definitely. I'll drop the hundred bucks. Like it's it's something I have to have in my collection. Um, and uh, yeah, I've heard that NBA Jam's the definitive version. I've also heard that um, Wolfenstein is incredibly good on um, on the Jaguar. Yeah, that's, that's not a bad game. Mm-hmm. Games that game's a lot longer than I remember. I remember just playing probably the shareware version where you beat the the Mecha Hitler or whatever. Just the guy with the big Gatling guns, actually not Mecha Hitler. And there's like six more episodes in that game. Like that's a longer game than people mm-hmm. give it credit for. So yeah, most people didn't 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 shell out the extra seven dollars. Like, right, I killed Hitler. We're done. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, yeah, that game gets a lot harder. Has a lot more shit going on too because there's some there's some zombies. There's all kinds of stuff going on. But um, but yeah, no, no, no. The the Jaguar is definitely the. The one thing that I definitely need to get in my collection. Actually, isn't there a Descent in that on the Jaguar? Uh, I, don't, Descent? I don't think so. Okay. I want to say no. There may be, but I want to say no because I don't remember. Oh, and actually, to uh, 
cover something we were talking about earlier. Um, Derek, do you know of a fighting game that has a guy with a kilt that shoots fireballs from it? Yes, I had that game. What's the name? We I, I know I, we couldn't think of the name of Life of Me. I cannot. I you, as soon as you said what's the name of it, you lost it. Yeah, but I, I do because I actually had that game. Oh, Kasumi, Kasumi Ninja. There you there go. We go, Kasumi Ninja. I mistook that character for being in Way of the Warrior, which is another terrible Mortal <laughs> Kombat ripoff. But yeah, we were uh, we were discussing I kind of that. Around after that, can you believe me? Can you believe that? <laughs> I can't believe I'm still that. a company after that. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I. We were talking about how um, after Way of the Warrior, somehow they got a deal out of that. The Universal signed a contract with them after that game. <laughs> like somebody watched that game and said, "This is a company we want to put money behind." Mm. So, but uh, I guess somehow Way of the Warrior relates to why we're playing Uncharted today. But eesh, what a what a past. <laughs> I'm gonna guess that whoever. Like whoever like did that game like was fired as soon as they got they got the universal contract. <laughs> like, like you're gone. Like, oh, oh but man. I, the <laughs> you know For it's t- funny because I do tell a story, and so this is uh, a hint to check in next week, where I reveal one of the most embarrassing facts about uh, my person as a result of Way of the Warrior. So. Um, it's, it's pretty juicy details, so we'll just say that. Um, you got to check it out. Sad in a way. It's really sad. But I did, did, what? I was going to say, it's, it's bad because I'm like the head of the network, and I was about to ask you how long is this show because the Atari is a huge subject. And like every, almost every console has a really good story behind it. That's true. We kind of fly off the cuff. Um, I limit every show to two hours, but we go as long as we can within two hours. Um, and then, uh, I will say that the one thing that's going to help us a little bit is when they split Atari games and Atari Inc. Um, we're going to stick to the hardware side. So that's going to make it, and we've kind of done a decent Jaguar debate already. So yeah, for discussion already. So we kind of get to dodge around that, but all the Tengen stuff I'm going to kind of touch on, but dance around. So really quick, uh, every people know that, that, uh, Atari had a chance at, uh, at the NES, and they're like, oh, we got something better coming out with the Panther or whatever. Yeah. Well, and then they said, we got, then somebody, they had another chance. Yeah, oh, we got this Panther and the Jaguar. Oh, you know what? The Jag- and the Jaguar is even better. We're just going to put that one out. And when I think about it, I probably would have made the exact same decision as they would, <laughs> as they did. Like, I would like, I'm like, you know what? We have a 64 bit system that we could put out in a year. Let's do that instead. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, Atari is always the story of, and I guess we'll say it now because it's kind of their theme. Atari is the story of what could have been. Like they're they're always the uh, they've got a lot going for them as they as they you know kind of progress through history. Um, and aside from the Nintendo thing, but I guess at the time that all that came to a head, I would have made can, yeah. We like you, you have the seven eight hundred sitting. You you had it sitting there for a year, and it's like, or mm. was there, and it's like, the other company says, hey, we have this one. It's like, well, the one we have is more powerful than that, and, it's, and the specs for the seven eight hundred are actually better than the NES, and oh. then it's also backward compatible with all of our twenty six hundred stuff. So mm-hmm. yeah, no, we're just gonna go our own way. Wrong decision. <laughs> <laughs> they had a hefty library. I again, I think the biggest problem was. Um, no one really foresaw the the backlash of the cl- of the crash of eighty three, and that uh, that has a lot to do with it. Um, yeah. 
But um, I, I, I guess we'll touch on that. But, um, but yeah, I don't know. Derek, you want to hang out for a while or you want to duck out? I don't know. what. I don't want to keep you lingering, but you're welcome to stay as long as you want. I will, I will not be a burden on you. I will only speak up. Oh, you are. You are hardly a burden. Um, <laughs> you are welcome anytime. Um, we were just talking about uh, kind of the, the humble beginnings of, of Atari um, with Nolan Bushnell. Um, mm-hmm. He's at the University of Utah in 66 when he sees Space War for the first time, which was um, kind of one of the debatable first uh, video games of, uh, of all time. Um, and um, um, he saw commercial potential for an arcade machine, a coin-op, something, something to that effect. And, and, I mean, arcades kind of existed, but they were more a machine than anything else. Mm-hmm. Um, huh? Pinball machines. Yeah, yeah, pinball or those weird, stupid things like in Big, like that would tell your fortune or <laughs> the boxing games where like these metal guys would punch back and forth. I don't know. I was in San Francisco once and, and there's a uh, an interesting arcade on the off skirts over at Fisherman's Wharf that has this weird boxing game where it looks like two Terminators kind of beating each other up. But uh, anyway, um, but basically, yeah, uh, on Space War, it was it, it was it was. Kind of two uh, two ships taking on each other, and if you guys want full coverage on Space War, it's uh, it's over at Gaming History 101. Um, I kind of covered it in 2012, mm-hmm. uh, but um, stuff in it, like as grab is it can get from what I understand. Like there were versions that are really complicated where you had gravity and stars and mm-hmm. oh yeah yeah. There's black holes in the original version um, that have a gravitational pull. Mm. Um, there's a physics engine built into the game. It's actually what, pretty impressive. Was that the was that the cabinet that was all futuristic looking, like all molded plastic? Yeah. <laughs> yes. Like Let me those, see if I can find a. Uh, a there was like yellow one. ones and stuff. They were cool. Um, yeah, I'm trying to remember what Bushnell uh, called his version. I think he called it computer space. Yeah, computer space. Yeah. So um, I'll I'll try to get a picture in there for in a second. Um, but basically. Um, Bushnell was like, yeah, no, if you made this into an arcade coin-op, you'd be good to go. Um, and and he, he said about um, trying to figure out how to do that. Um, and hold on, I got here. I'll post the, uh, the picture of computer space that Trees is talking about there. Um, yeah, there you go. Yeah. That should yeah. be uh, – like if you made an arcade cabinet that looked like that now, that would still be cool. That was pretty slick. <laughs> um, well, and – and so what, what would happen was he would create uh, computer space and he would put it outside a Nutting's customary market um, and put it into bars. Um, and what people don't talk about is the game uses a lot of XY. Um, like it, it almost uses like a, a grid, like, a, you know, to, to kind of move your characters around and kind of aim. Like imagine a ta- or asteroids, but it's, you know, it, it wants like, you know, what degrees you want to move everything in and, and you got to adjust for gravity and all that fun mm. stuff. I mean, it, it was very complex. It was, so obviously it did horrible. It was a game by geeks for geeks is what mm-hmm. it was. Exactly. And so when you go to the mainstream, people drunk in bars, people smoking cigarettes. I mean, <laughs> let's face it, the Atari or not the Atari, the, the arcade world very much bases its, its origins um, in, in an adult fashion even with when i was a kid i don't know about you guys but in the 80s playing arcades i mean it did feel like you were kind of in an adult space there were drunk guys there were people smoking cigarettes there was always kind of weird stuff going on around arcades <laughs> it seemed kind of trashy uh, all the time but i loved it mm-hmm. 
but um but anyway um so so yeah it would it would fail pretty poorly and um bushnell would try to find a way to kind of maximize a, a better game for this um at this time he sees the odyssey um which basically was several different versions of pong i mean that's that's what it really breaks down to was just a you know a bunch of a bunch of stuff that that moved two dots across the screen and then used overlays on your television to do different things. However, this does predate Pong. Um, they would uh, they would have an arcade version of um, tennis, which would later be renamed to Pong. Mm-hmm. And um, Atari actually gets uh, sued by Magnavox and has to uh, has to pay a licensing fee um, for when they finally release Pong. So that was his big hit. Was Bushnell basically took. The Odyssey's tennis and made it into a, a game that was very easy. Two spinners, back and forth, Pong is created. One of the more quintessential games that was ever uh, released to arcades and, and in video games altogether. I don't know. What do you guys think? Do you think Pong is really all it's cracked up to be? Still fun. What it is? I remember years ago, probably probably a decade or so ago, I bought a Pong and hooked and like I was able to hook it up to a computer, which is to a TV, which is not easy these days. But <laughs> mm. and, and, me and my brother played it. It's still fun. <laughs> I mean, it, it, yeah, it, it works on the simplest level. Then you're like, yeah, okay. But if you another person there, it, mm-hmm. it's, it's a really fun game. Yeah, especially talking smack. Like, I mean, it, it really is like the original, you know, two guys on the couch game. Mm-hmm. But, um, and, uh, and, and Trees, I put a picture of the Pong cabinet in the chat. Although it didn't become a link for some reason, but... Uh, um, very different <laughs> than the computer space cabinet. It looked very basic. Yeah. Um, right a, money. yeah, big yellow overlay. It was, it was cheaply designed and, and, um, especially, and Derek, I don't know if you've read this, but, um, you sound like you probably at least know the story if you haven't read this, but David Chef's uh, book game over, which is mostly about Nintendo. He covers the up, uprising of Atari. And the whole idea was Bushnell was running out of money and he needed to make money quick, um, in California. And, uh, and and so Pong was specifically designed, especially from what he learned, uh, over designing computer space that, you know, the cheapest he could make it would be the better way um, to handle it. So um, he everything in Pong was created by over-the-shelf parts. And actually, this will be a theme for Atari for a while, um, and it will burn them in the ass later. <laughs> um, but uh, they basically bought a back, black and white television. He said he bought all of them from Walgreens. Um, a special game hardware, and then a coin mechanism from a laundromat, um, which featured a milk carton uh, inside to catch the coins. <laughs> and he placed the, he placed originally Pong in the Sunnyvale Tavern um, by the name of uh, Andy Caps. Oh uh, yeah, by the name of Andy Caps to Andy test Cap- its viability. Yeah, Andy Caps was where it started, and um, I guess it made a ton of money to the point that the game was jamming because there were two right. quarters. Off <laughs> the owner saying, "Come get your stupid machine because it's broken." <laughs> there, and he found out the only reason it was broken because it was overflowing with quarters. Mm-hmm. That's crazy, and that's awesome too. Um, and and again, um, you know, Pong does have this weird addictive nature to it, especially based off of how basic it is. And I, I don't know, did you guys ever have the guys who unlocked Pong? After X number of battles in uh, Mortal Kombat, like when Mortal Kombat 2 hit really hardcore, if you got to 250 battles, you'd play Pong. No. And I remember at 7-Elevens and stuff, because the machine was just played to death, um, 
you'd randomly play the match where you guys would play Pong instead. And I sucked at Pong. No easier on a joystick than it was with the spinners. But the spinners were really awkward for me whenever I played original Pong. I, I can imagine, like like Derek was just saying, like playing it and it was still fun. Like I can imagine if you're sitting there with your boy and having a few beers playing that. I bet mm-hmm. it can still get pretty competitive. Oh yeah, well, I mean, and, and don't don't ever discredit alcohol to uh, that's what I'm saying. The lubrication to uh, yeah. shit talking. <laughs> Blur up those paddles a little. Those little <laughs> just play. You know? oh, yeah. People like starting. You start to add add features to the game that probably aren't there. It's like, like if I hit and I spin it real fast right when I touch it, it'll put a spin on the ball. I'm like, yeah, oh, yeah. I'm no spin on that ball. But you in your brain, you think you're doing yeah, something. Yeah, right. a little backhand on that pong ball. That's I've also seen ball. A, the, again at that same arcade. I saw a more complicated version of Pong that had um, uh, four players, two paddles on each side, and that gets really confusing. Mm. You guys <laughs> like, are giving me you guys are giving me party ideas. I'm gonna hook up a Pong go. Pong at the next party, and I think if there's beers and people are throwing money down, I think it get heated. I think that's what needs to happen. Goes over. You think it goes over like a fart in church, or it's okay? I think it goes good. Yeah. Beer and money, coffee table, <laughs> pong. <laughs> Goes there. It'd be fun. Yeah, you know? I, I can see it. Betting on it. Betting on some well, pong. Well, pong's one of the few games where no matter how drunk you get, I, I guess you could still play it. I mean, technically. <laughs> well, what's funny about pong is it starts so slow that uh, it'd be kind of funny to have a bunch of rowdy drunk people, and it's like all amped up, throwing money down, you know, and you're like, let's go. Here we go. And then you hit start, and it's like, bloop, 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 bloop. <laughs> Fucking calm the party right down. I don't know. Sounds good. Uh, I can see it. I'm all about it. I can see it. Uh, don't discredit Pong. I mean, uh, let's face it. Throughout most of the mid-'70s, it was nothing but Pong clones. I mean, uh, Tari put it in, in homes, but I don't know. Law and and what could be allowed. Everyone was kind of ripping everyone off at this time, um, you know. And a lot of people don't talk about that, but that that really is what happened. And um, a lot of the games before the VCS, uh, the video computer system is what that stands for. The twenty six hundred mm-hmm. um, would be would be kind of like a bunch of pong ripoffs, and everyone kind of playing the game and, and stealing from each other. I remember the first time I played. Uh, I was uh, we went to. We would, we were poor, so we would go to Radio Shack and just look at all the stuff. And, then, <laughs> and I saw one that uh, said uh, hockey, and I was like, "They have hockey, Marty have hockey." And, uh, <laughs> and like, it had one playing. It didn't have one playing. I wrote it. It had one playing. It was like it's just pong, but with like six six uh, things on. That's all it is. With six, mm-hmm. and I was like, "Oh, that is. I guess that's that's what hockey is." Okay, because I like at the time also poor had no idea what hockey was like oh that's how hockey of course that's just how hockey's played mm-hmm. absolutely oh yeah yeah but you know what we were all like that and i guess we'll just jump right into it without getting too deep but basically what would happen is bushnell goes on to go you know what even with the odyssey what was really going on was you would put cartridges in that would just flip dip switches and you just have you know radical versions of pong you know, or the same concept. Mm-hmm. It was dots moving across the screen, and you'd use overlays or several tricks to convince yourself it was something different. So what he wanted to create was something that could literally be dynamic. You could put in new cartridges, and new games would be created. And um, there's a really good book called Racing the Beam 
that explains a lot of this. And it's all about how Atari was able to create more than just side-scrolling and actually emulate arcade experiences. Um, it's a very fascinating book, but it's kind of techy, so I'm pre-warning you guys. But basically, he would take a lot of over-the-shelf parts and create a low-cost, um, high-output you know, power PC that or CPU that would eventually become the Atari 2600 or VCS. And it would come out in 1977. And, uh, you know, to be bold, it would be one of, you know, the top producing consoles ever created. So, um... That's a safe, that's a safe thing. Like, without... It's like, that's like when you say, like, the Model T was one of the most popular... Like, you, when you look at it today, it's like, well, it's kind of a shitty car. <laughs> but, like, it was, like, for a time, revolutionary. Same thing like the Volkswagen Beetle. You know what? Not no airbags, like, like a piece of crap. But still, <laughs> you got you give them the props for being an incredible like design. So same thing for the VCS. Like kids today will look at it, oh look at all the dots on the screen. At the time, mm-hmm. think, nothing nothing more important. I don't, I don't think as far as video games go than a VCS. Oh yeah, and and like tons of computing whizzes over in Silicon Valley would be called in to help out with this stuff. Um, and it's important to note that at the same time, a lot of the competitive talent is going on over at Nintendo for their arcade machines as they start to do, you know, um, Donkey Kong and oh, what was that game that that everyone adapted to Donkey Kong because it was a failure? Radar. Um, thank you, Radar Scope. Um, you know, and Nintendo's doing their own thing. But it's important to note that people like um, um, Steve Jobs would get their start at Atari. Working 18 years in again in David Chef's book, they talk about uh, Bushnell hiring Steve Jobs at 18 years old. He was a pot smoker in the back room, <laughs> just uh, just, yep. just learning the computing stuff. But he knew how to make software efficient, and that was all they cared about with Atari because that meant you could create a new game if you knew how to efficiently program. And it was during this time that a couple of things happened. So first of all, as Derek was kind of hinting to with hockey, and this happens time and time again. Atari games were not as dynamic as their covers <laughs> would lead you to believe they were. You know, boxing was nothing more than like, because remember it was the overhead view for boxing? Yeah, it's pretty good. And it was just like extending like, you know, arms and stuff. But you were like, dude, that's two boxers duking it out. You know, mm-hmm. it would be whatever they told you. Adventure, what is it? It's a box chasing after a duck. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, that's what what it really is. But, you know, at the same time, you know, you're your own imagination made it what it was, you know, and, and as a result, I mean, the Atari 2600 was something unlike we had seen ever before. And you know, I mean, it, you use your imagination, like when you're a kid, which and that's who they were selling it for. Like it was all about imagination at the time. Mm-hmm. So like when you got the asteroids, I, I remember staring at the asteroids, uh, <laughs> just the cartridge because the box art and like, and written, figuring out how that, translated to the game like oh i'm oh, yeah. here and and i'm turning and all this stuff and same thing for missile command like all mm-hmm. those the the cover art which nowadays i don't even know what the cover art for the games look like but for those old atari games they were so important because they help bring you into the game a lot yep i remember um good example of that is yars revenge i think everybody remembers the yars revenge oh, yars cover revenge. and that was one way yeah you definitely stared at that cover and then you got it home and it was like what is this is this is not what i thought it would be this does <laughs> yeah. not look like this i was like oh this is this part because i like for me when i thought cover, okay 
this isn't exactly this, but I, this means this and this. Mm-hmm. Is awesome. So that's what I, that's the way I thought, saw it. Did, did Atari games have, I can't remember now, did they have manuals? Yes, even some of them. Oh, yeah. Did they? I, I can't remember. If they had like stories and stuff, I don't yeah, remember in fact, anymore. If you want to see, um, one of the greatest unboxing videos you've ever seen. Um, get the movie Cloak and Dagger, oh, which stars the uh, the kid from E.T. Um, Daphne Coleman. <laughs> wow, good for you. <laughs> Look at that. Pull that one up. <laughs> and, um, and and it's it's all about an Atari cartridge that uh, that holds um, secret uh, blueprints right. to a terrorist invasion or something like that. Yep. Yep, and um, and it, it stars uh, you know uh, Jack Flack, the uh, the superhero that was part of like a uh, pen and paper I think board game or something that that was made into a video game, and then he was this guy's imaginary hero. But uh, regardless of that, yeah, there's a couple of Atari games opened in that Atari 2600 mm-hmm. games, and they were like the you know no one questioned it, uh, very clear you know only thing on the market uh, when when you watch this movie. And uh, they got the big silver lining, and they had these big, fancy color booklets and everything. And you I know mean, what? You're right. Now that I'm thinking of it, it, there was one game I had that was called Swords and Something, and it was directly tied to the book that it came with, where you, you, had, to, you had to find clues and stuff on certain page numbers. Yeah, you're right. Oh, yeah. Well, and there's a lot of that going on. Um, obviously, uh, the other big thing the 2600 will usher in is the concept of the third-party producer. In fact, the third-party games will screw the Atari into <laughs> causing the crash of 83. Um, oh, because what? Atari did not want that to happen. Right. Uh, oh. Right. With, with the third parties you're talking about? Yeah, third parties uh, were Atari fought, like, got a lot of guys left. Uh, here's why I'm jumping in, because I can sure, yeah. Mm-hmm. A lot of guys at Atari, Atari did not want people to get famous because then they would leave. And and that's why in the beginning there was a bunch of games with, like, Easter eggs. The Adventure one, for example, where you go and you do all the stuff and just to see the guy's name flash. because he, it was, Exactly. Uh, but some those guys like, screw this. We're going to go make our own stuff. We know how to make the games. We know how to do everything. We don't need Atari anymore. And so, like, Bob Whitehead, David Crane, uh, they all they left. Uh, and created Activision, and Atari immediately sued them and said, you can't do that. And Activision, today, I believe, is one of the biggest, if not the biggest uh, game company around, was the very first ever third party. Yeah. Yeah, they came from meager beginnings. And do you remember, like, that was that was exactly why, actually. Uh, Activision's whole mantra at the time was we will give the developers credit for what they've done in these games like that was the whole you know premise as to why they developed activision uh it's kind of interesting because you know now as their money machine you know for all the bad they do they definitely give credit to those developers but think of how many people are in those credit lists you know like it's almost not not important compared to you know the six to ten names that were Mm -hmm. all you know kind of like you said acronyms um, with a lot of the games developed for the Nintendo generation, J- Japan definitely was like, no, 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 you cannot put your name in that stuff, especially Capcom. Um, and Activision put a name on the box, like David Crane's Pitfall. Mm-hmm. They did. Yes, they did. And Pitfall's who I wanted to talk about. So Pitfall comes out in 1982. And uh, in my mind, that is Raiders of the Lost Ark. It came out only a year earlier, and I'm sure that's not an accident. 
I'm mm-hmm. pretty sure that's not an accident at least. But man, I went back and I picked this up on Game Room on the on the 360. Yeah, me too. I remembered that game being very very different than what it was. <laughs> um not in terms of what you did. I mean, the gameplay has always been pretty upfront. But wow. Like I imagine Pitfall Harry with so much more detail <laughs> than he had. And I remembered shit like he had a past, he had a family, he had a story. Like I created all this stuff and I that's think that's just, the cool part. It was all the stuff you invented. That's just you being a lonely kid. That's Maybe, <laughs> but you know what? Pitfall Harry had a whole new dimension to it. Mm-hmm. I it mattered when that alligator ate him. I yeah, know. That's the I, part about it. When you put you put you look at it and you're like, Oh, like now since we're adults and we look at oh, that's just <laughs> Couple of a couple of lines and dots, but in the back it's like he's going through the jungle. The alligators and he has to get, mm-hmm. he has to get this so he can get back to his family. He's a little kid, and I always saw him. I always saw him with a little hat on and everything. I, like, oh. <laughs> I remember being yeah. real greedy as a kid. Like I just I was so excited whenever I grabbed like gold bars. Like that's <laughs> oh, a, yeah. that's what I thought that game was about. I was just like money. I just want treasure <laughs> and gold bars and silver. Like I thought if I went into the woods out back, I was going to trip over silver bars, gold bars. Well, it was the same for me. It's just for me, he was just saying it belongs in a museum, you know. <laughs> but it was the same. <laughs> but it was the same story. I was, I was trying to get back to his family, and like all this stuff was just stuck because I would always like skip over, like, oh, there's a bar down there, but there's also a snake, so I'm just going to skip over it. Or look, I try. I need to get through this as far as possible before I so I can get back to my family. Well, you know what? This says a lot about me. I know. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's an awesome story though it is me i'm just me i'm just like that scorpion's keeping me from that loot <laughs> that money but you know it, it's funny because i it, that game though i mean that was a big deal because it was for me for what i can remember it was the first game that was like not made by atari and it almost made atari games look cheap you, you almost like when you played pitfall and it had you know, the activision logo you were like this is the new shit right here like, this is, like, this is what this system can do. <laughs> yeah, and I don't even know if, if this is really a game that also does that, but I feel the same way when I see River Raid. River Raid. Remember that game? Yeah, River Raid. Like, the awesome. earliest version of the shmup. Yep. Like, River Raid definitely does the same thing, and it does not port well to iOS, just in case people are wondering. But, um, um, but well, and so on the back burner of this, and this will become a major part of Atari, um, Bushnell wanting uh, outside investors uh, to create the Atari um, would uh, sell in 1976 Atari to Warner Communications. Now he was he was very naive when he did that. Yes, I think he regretted it almost immediately. Mm. Absolutely, um, but at the time he was living kind of the rock star lifestyle for a short period of time. 28 to 32 million is the estimated amount he was paid for that. And um, he buys the Folgers Mansion out in California. So uh, Bushnell's living large. And there are stories about, you know, kind of the world that Atari lived in where, you know, Bushnell put like a fucking hot tub in his office and people <laughs> could smoke pot while they were developing. And um, there's the famous uh, um, thing about uh, what. I, I forget the game, so I'm sorry. I'm blanking on it right now. But there was a time where he had to make a better coded version of a game, 
and he went to Steve Jobs for it, and he was offered something crazy like two hundred and fifty bucks or something for every KB he could strip off breakout. the coating. Breakout. There you go. Thank you very much. And Bushnell goes to Steve Jobs and goes, "I'll pay you fifty bucks for every you know kilobyte you can hack off this," and he hacks off a ton. Like he hacks off like twenty KB or even more than that, and Bushnell makes like five grand and gives you know Steve Jobs like five hundred bucks for it or something. It, and to the, you're mis- you're you're flipping it. You're flipping the script, as they say. Oh, am I? Yeah. The is it the other way around? Bushnell went to Steve at the time. Steve Jobs and and and, and Wozniak were partners. That's what it was. It was the Woz. Yeah, and, mistake. But continue the story. He told uh, he told Jobs. Uh, Bushnell told Jobs. We'll pay you like two hundred fifty dollars for every K you knock off. Why? Uh, he told Jack the Jobs. Jobs goes to Wise and says, "Hey, they'll give us fifty dollars for every K we 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 knock off, and we split that, and then we you get half of that I have." And Wise like, "Okay, sure." Does an incredible job, great version of I think it was Super Breakout. Gets, yes. Gives uh, Wise didn't find out that he got cheated until like three decades later. Mm, See, that's right. And he was at the time he was like, eh, whatever. But you, that kind Steve of, <laughs> Jobs kind of an asshole. Yeah, and I mean, all these pioneers kind of were. I mean, again, Bushnell maybe not. Uh, a lot of people will still to this day say he was really cool and laid back. Mm-hmm. But you know, a lot of the guys that really made it, um, Waz always seems like he was really cool too. But um, but definitely Jobs and Gates and a lot of these Silicon Valley guys. I mean, it was just nothing but a long running stream of screwing each other over. Like it really was kind of what built, unfortunately, Silicon Valley in the eighties and nineties. Um, but uh, but yes, thank you for for adjusting that because uh, yeah, I was a little confused on that. I didn't take as good of notes for this because I thought I knew my stuff, but I'm learning that I'm a little little off. No, because uh, the whole Bushnell, Bushnell's uh, laid back and rock star lifestyle bites him in the ass when Warner comes in and steals his company. Mm. They do, and they do just that. Um, uh, let's see, when was uh, – I'm trying to think of the best time. But basically, yeah, what will happen is um, – was it in 78? Um, Key Games brand was dropped in December. There's a heated argument between Bushnell and Manny Gerard. And Bushnell gets fired by Warner from Atari. His own company. He gets fired. Yeah, he founded his own company. Everything's basically his creation, and they're just like, you're fired. Because he he, he argues with somebody. And, uh, again, as, as Bushnell tells it, he literally says, we started fighting like cats and dogs, and then the wheels came off that fall. Warner claimed they fire me. They fired me. I said I quit. It was a mutual separation. Whatever, dude. Okay. You got screwed. <laughs> you got let go from your own That's company. That's right. And you, I mean, 1978 is like when people ever, everywhere were like, this is a big deal. Mm-hmm. You know, Sears started getting involved, making their own version of the VCS. Um, and, and, I mean, Atari is a force to be reckoned with. And the video game industry itself kind of gets established right around this time. And there's just money pouring out of this industry and warner soaks it all up after they let bushnell go i mean they really do because the um, they, they immediately screw it up with a bunch of or a bunch of bad decisions but atari itself they were they had arcade games going they were starting to do pinball machines 
of course, the mm-hmm. stuff like they were like everywhere at that time. And all of a sudden they're like, yeah, Nolan, you can go. <laughs> oh, I know. And and again, the reason that the VCS was now known as the 2600 is because they were starting to create the 5200, which would be the successor. So they're even future planning. I mean, they, it's all locked down. And again, kind of like Derek's saying, mm-hmm. I really think very little of this had to do with Warner's foresight, especially with what happens to the Atari shortly after and how Warner kind of responds. Um but but basically, yeah, I mean, everyone's seeing money and Warner, like, and actually it's interesting because we talk about this uh, in our, next week uh, we'll do our Crash Bandicoot episode and we talk about how Universal kind of handled Naughty Dog and, mm-hmm. and kind of, you see some, some similarities. These big media companies that thought they knew media get involved with video games and, and really kind of screw it over. Um, uh, but, uh, but yeah, the 2600 is selling like hotcakes. It, I mean, we're talking millions and millions of dollars, or millions and millions of units, mm-hmm. probably hundreds of millions of dollars. Um, I mean, because the Atari Twenty Six Hundred was like two hundred bucks, which was no chump change in seventy seven. <laughs> I mean, it really was not. It was a lot of money. Um, so those that had it, I mean, it was mm-hmm. a big deal, and, and a lot of people had it surprisingly. Yeah. But uh, kind of as Derek said, uh, without even you know, w- without even agreements. Um, to Atari or Warner, a lot of third-party titles start coming out, and a lot of crap games start <laughs> releasing for the 2600, and the market really does get flooded. It started out as a trickle, and then all of a sudden, it was a flood. Yeah. And I mean, it was bad. Like, I wasn't... I will, in full disclosure, admit I was one year old when the crash of 83 happened. But from what I've heard... You couldn't walk in a grocery store without having like some stupid bonus bin of Atari mm-hmm. games between one to five bucks, and like the gamers knew. But isn't this always the way? The gamers know, but it's not about the gamers. It's the same thing with the Wii shovelware, where it's all on clearance racks at Walgreens now. Like it's not about the gamers. It's about moving a product for a short period of time for a low price to make a quick buck. Mm-hmm. And so there's all these crap games competing with good games, and you're talking, you know, when your grandma goes to the store and she sees all these $5 Atari games, or she sees, like, I don't know, Pitfall for 35 bucks. you know, what's she going to buy? Mm-hmm. You know, and, and it just floods the market, and it becomes so bad that... Um, that people lose faith in the industry, and and there's no distribution, there's no rhyme or reason. It's so scattered about, and then you have two major failures by Atari themselves, and those major failures are none other than Pac-Man and ET. Uh, one, <laughs> okay, Pac-Man. <sighs> both I, of those, I, you can. Play blame, but I can see the reason. There are reasons why both of those games suck and why both of them mm-hmm. failed. Uh, yes, ET because the guy just didn't have time. They, they told him we need a game out in a few months, and he's like, "I can't." We need it out, and he had to do it. Pac Man because I don't think that they knew how to do it. Like, no, no, because it was screen to screen, and it was blown up. I mean, because that's what you had to do with the resolution, and that's how the Atari well, worked. The, the well, Pac Man Atari wasn't even close. Like it wasn't even, no. it didn't even resemble a uh, arcade Pac-Man. It tried to, but yeah, they couldn't fit everything on the screen. I don't the, think it even tried to. 
I think you need to go back and look at the what the Pac-Man Atari looked like. It was like six screens that made up the Pac-Man board, no, basically. I, I, I think you're thinking of Miss Pac-Man. The original Miss- Pac-Man for Atari was one screen, and it was pretty rough. Really? Okay. Oh. And it was um, it was very it was poorly programmed. I think mm-hmm. I think also a rush job. But like, if you compare mm-hmm. like other Atari ports where they at least got the, like a Missile Command or or a Space right. Invaders of huge like really popular games. Well, at least they got the feel of it right, even though it mm-hmm. still like that game. Pac-Man was a whole different story. Right. And when it came out, people were like, this doesn't even feel like... And the bad part is, a few years later, they came out with Ms. Pac-Man. I think the same guy got to do Ms. Pac-Man. He's like, oh, let me do it. And a great, great version for the for the, uh, for the the 20s. I was like, oh, that's what Pac-Man should have been. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. but the original Pac-Man is... Do you- <laughs> Do you remember? Yeah, like, I'm watching it right now. You're right, Trees. Yeah. It, do you remember, Derek? It was Here, like I'm posting it in the uh, some of, in the chat. Some of the dots that you would eat, like they didn't space it right. So some of them were like yeah. two spaces wide. They were like, <laughs> like it took two chomps to eat them. It was like, it was bad. It was bad. It, it looks like a flickery nightmare. In fact, it looks, you know, Pokemon epilepsy inducing. <laughs> bad and you go through that tunnel it takes you like 10 seconds to come out the other end i know what was going on there oh, where man. was he where'd he go <laughs> the tunnel on the right side the tunnels weren't even on the right side oh like, top no. bottom yeah. they were top and bottom it was horrible what is that how did that happen guys <laughs> what the hell is this that shows up in the middle of the screen is that supposed to be fruit I think, what is that i don't remember was it- oh it's so arbitrary but anyway um but what's important to note is that both E.T. and Pac-Man were great successes. Mm. It, it's they, been, well, no, no, no. But they were in, in, in the grand scheme of things. I'm guilty. E.T. would move 6 million copies and Pac-Man would move 7 million copies. Yeah, hey, I, I, I had a copy of each. The problem was is that nobody um, knew how to handle this stuff. And they actually thought it would move hardware to a ridiculous rate and the flaw becomes that uh they make 12 million copies of pac-man and 10 million copies of um et and they don't even have enough atari 2600s out in the market to, <laughs> to substantiate them and the production of these things were expensive these these ram chips or sorry rom chips were not cheap and they didn't hold much, but they were they were expensive. To this day, Atari carts are expensive to create. Ask anybody. So uh, I, I mean, we we all know of the the joke of the the landfill with the ET cartridges. Is there a yes. landfill somewhere with Pac Man cartridges we don't know about somewhere? Not that I've heard. I've looked that up. I haven't found anything. There is a landfill of ET cartridges, though. There yeah. is a landfill of ET cartridges. I can confirm New that. Mexico yeah. somewhere, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's like New Mexico in the desert. They buried two million ET cartridges. Poor thing. Go out there, melt them down. Apparently, you've got enough computer chips to uh, but make no, a profit, but you got to find them first. You no, know it was great about that time, though, being a kid. At the, like, you tried to make it work. Like, I remember playing ET, and you, you tried to make it work. Like, you played it. <laughs> like, you did your best to support it. Well, and I just – do you remember – we've talked about this many times on this show, but, uh, but you know, do you remember when you sucked at a video game 
it was your fault? <laughs> Do you remember a time when that happened? Yeah. Like, there was no developer responsibility whatsoever. If I didn't get E.T., that was because I was too dumb to figure out what E.T. was supposed to have me do. Yeah, I, I, my brother told me about he had a friend that actually understood how to play and finish E.T. And I, I, to this day, I think he's a liar. Because yeah, I've watched someone do it on YouTube, and I'm like, what can, the hell? You can beat it. I used to beat it. <laughs> how? Yeah. Well, you needed the um, the, the, the pots to make the uh, the little phone home thing. And the whole game consisted of the of holes. You'd fall in a hole. <laughs> That's all and, I remember is it, falling it in holes. It was 50-50 <laughs> chance there was a pot down there. And if there's a if pot down there, you'd grab it. If not, then you'd have to hit a button and hit extend his neck and float out of the hole. <laughs> and you just rinse and repeat. You just keep falling in holes until you find other pieces. Made no sense, and I believe there's what. And there's reason. You discern that from that game. I d- never figured that out. Yeah, you fall in a hole, right? And you grab a piece. Yeah, I got that part yeah. down. And then you would, a science. And if you if you watch it, you hold. I remember you'd hit a button, and his head would stretch out like his neck, and he'd float, mm-hmm. and you just float out of the hole, and you just keep doing it. Oh, you. Did I not hold down the button? Is that what it is? Yeah, you just have Things though, like you would go, like at some point you'd be in the house and then you would be outside or something. You'd find the, Reese pieces. I remember that. The guy in the suit and the hat would come chasing after you. I'm guessing he was an FBI agent, right? Yeah, you couldn't stay in the hole too long because he'd come. <laughs> you'd, have to get, you'd have to float out the hole in time before that guy got you. Oof. <laughs> but yeah, it made no sense. <clears throat> I mean, that's what that's what you'd figure out eventually. And then you'd phone home. Go home. And there you have it. <laughs> that was the whole game. They should remake that. <laughs> Jesus Christ, no, they should Flash game. Oh, Spielberg, you know he's going to want big licensing fees for that. Let's not dance around the fact that I think it was like $25 million was paid for the licensing of this. He's going to remake that game without guns. Spielberg showed up at the Atari offices. Uh, one, one of the stories I remember hearing was that uh, Spielberg came into the office and went up to the programmer and said, oh, look, I'm I'm putting a lot of faith into you. This game's going to be great. And then uh, after Spielberg <laughs> left, the, the like, product manager came and said, yeah, it needs to be out by September. And I was like, what? What? Six weeks? What? <laughs> yeah, it was, like, ridiculous. <laughs> they just had one big sketch storyboard. E.T. in a hole. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> like, Spielberg comes up to you and says, our game is going to be great, and then Spielberg walks away, and the guy, and then you're left to do it in six weeks by yourself. And you turn blue. And, I mean, they joke about it. Actually, if you guys ever have watched, um, and if you haven't, check it out on Netflix, the cartoon show Code Monkeys. They they joke about that very subject in an episode. It's great. But Code Monkeys is basically a cartoon about working under Bushnell in uh, in, in Atari's golden days. Mm. And it's It's great. Um, but, uh, but what will happen under Warner is they'll basically try to branch out as they should. And as makes sense, um, the 5,200 will come out in 1982 late, I think, or is it 83? That's the one thing I don't have down, but, um, and they also made a computer, the Atari 800. People still love that thing for some reason. I never liked the Atari. I was a Commodore guy, so I was never Atari fan, but. You know, I was a C64 guy, too, so I'm biased. People love that um, 480. The 5200 came out in uh, November 82. And it was, by all accounts, um, I mean, it was it was the next successor. It would be backwards compatible with the 2600. 
The biggest problem I think it made, and again, it probably would have garnered more steam had it not. You know, I mean, it, it followed the same rules as we see now with console generations in that it basically re-released a lot of 2600 games with better graphics and, and playability. The problem was, was the crash was going on at the same time. Mm. So people were like, I'm not going to buy this new console just to, you know, buy the same games I already own. But let's face it, 360 basically launched under that premise. Man, I tell you, the, the 5800, they had the best controllers, man. No, they were shit. The ones that they're the, that couldn't zero out. Yeah, they're, they're just they're, awesome looking, man. They look futuristic. Yeah, it worked though because they did. Yeah, like like uh, I'll give you that. But did like, they have um the joystick? The joystick was that also a uh, paddle too? Weren't they? Wasn't that a paddle and a joystick together? Or am I making that up in my head? I think you're making it up in your head. Yeah, I don't think so. Um, the 5200 had that that shitty joystick that kind of looked like, yeah, no, no, it kind of looked like an Odyssey controller because mm-hmm. it had the number pads. It looked like a telephone thing, but the problem was the joystick wouldn't zero out. It wouldn't go back to the middle. So you had to right. do this weird rubber band mod where you had to put it in in the upper right and upper and lower left corners to kind of have the rubber bands like even it out. And it's like uh, like one of the big games that came, they came out was Ms. Pac-Man. Uh, oh. you, can't, you can't play a maze game with a joystick that doesn't return to center. You just mm-hmm. Well, aesthetically, it's pretty <laughs> badass. <laughs> it has the buttons on the side. Yeah, it has a little keypad. Rough. It looks like you land the space shuttle with that thing. I love it. Look at that thing. <laughs> it had two buttons on each side, but I believe those were the same buttons. I don't believe they were. Oh, yeah. They didn't do separate things. I never owned um... the red. The red buttons on either side were the same, uh, and I've never owned a fifty-two hundred, but I have played one. Okay. Um, and it's it, you don't realize how much of a bear what we're talking about is until you try to play a game with it. Mm. Everything you know is wrong. You're not used to joysticks that don't center out. And you notice it to a T once you've played a 5200 because you're like, what the hell, yeah, I, guys? I made an Atari jump at that point, and I went with ColecoVision because I think ColecoVision came out around the time of the 1982. It had the arcade perfect version of Donkey Kong. And let's face it, the ColecoVision was an 8-bit system. It basically came pretty close to the Nintendo in terms of hardware, and it had nothing but awesome arcade ports. Yeah, oh, I just it really did. I just wanted it because it had Rocky Three and that cool-ass punching controller. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah. Whatever that controller was. but uh, So I missed out on the, all these Atari offshoots. So See, Rock Band fans, it happened way before you guys. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, yeah, and they, they had the... Uh, the Atari 800 out. Um, I think before that was the 400, but I don't know how it all played out. I didn't do microcomputers. Well, but, um, it was like, the, of course, the cheap version of the 800. But the problem with that is at the point that time there were three – from Atari's computer side, there were three big big players, Atari, Commodore, and Apple. Uh, forget about IBM for a while because they're all business. But you would go – like in schools, it was either Atari, Commodore, or Apple. And Apple somehow just destroyed everybody, and so and, in, and for home it was Commodore, for schools it was Apple, and I kind of left Atari like in some kind of strange middle thing where uh, mm-hmm. they weren't really popular, but they were they were just hanging on, but not enough to to you know make a difference. 
I mean, that's exactly what it says here. Yeah, and, and, and that's true. I mean, being a kid back then, my dad had a Commodore 64 at the house. And I remember at the school, we had the apples. I remember playing Lime Green Lemonade Stand and uh, uh, what was the Oregon Trail. That was all that mattered at school. And uh, at home, I was playing Jumpman on the C64. But yeah, I Atari had a computer, but like my dad was always like, ah, don't worry about it. We have a Commodore. It's, mm-hmm. it's not that big a deal. Um, and Warner definitely felt the hit. Because by 1983, with the crash plus all those, you know, the microcomputer problem and the 5200s backlash, their tosses, uh, their tosses, their losses <laughs> totaled over 500 million, and Warner stock drops from 60 bucks a share to 20 bucks a share. That doesn't sound like much to the single shareholder, but for a company, that means you just became a third of your value. That's a big mm-hmm. deal. Warner's in trouble. And on top of that, in Japan, they're losing to this weird console Nintendo's come out with called the Famicom or Family Computer, which would later become the Nintendo and kind of bring video games back to America. And so it's a really bad time to be in charge of uh, of um, Atari. And again, Derek, I don't know how much you've studied all this stuff up, or, or trees for that mm-hmm. matter, but there's a lot of debate as to whether or not... Atari was salvageable had it been in better care. Yes. You know, and of course the Bushnell lovers want to say he's the reason that it couldn't have bounced back. But like you said, Derek, I agree with you. I think in the right hands and not with this big business perspective on a media or on a medium, you don't understand. I mean, Warner was doomed to fail. They're, they're not going to handle it well. There's no way you could expect them to. You have a large – like, at the time, video games, video game companies, computer companies were these small, agile, nimble companies that had a very, like, avant-garde type of way of doing things, and it worked. And you have this big company all of a sudden comes in and says, no, do it like this, like this, because this is how we make pencils, and it works. And mm-hmm. this is how mm-hmm. this is how we make uh, movies, and it works, and TV and TVs, and it works. And it doesn't work for computers. Like you said, when they came out with, um, like any other business, if you have a great lollipop and people love your lollipop, let's make a million lollipops and sell them. People will, you can't do that with video games. Like we, people like ET. Let's make a million, let's make six million ETs. How, how come nobody, yeah, because the ETs kind of suck. That's why. What do you mean? Does it matter? It says ET on it. Like that's sort of, and let's put out a new system. Well, it's, it's, uh, we'll, cha- we'll make we'll make the number twice as much as the other number. People will buy it. Yeah, no, people won't buy it. How come we're losing so much money? I don't know. Maybe we should sell mm-hmm. this thing. Yeah, no, 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 and it's and it's totally true. And because no one knew how this medium would work, they they I mean, it it really falls apart on them. And I mean, we see it time and time again. And as you said, Derek, Atari. The one thing you've got to give them is they were definitely, at least from a technological standpoint, they were ahead of the curve starting in 1984 all the way through every video game console, basically up and until the 32-bit generation. Mm -hmm. And from a, you know, from a, you know, from a, I guess, techno geek standpoint, you don't understand why they keep failing. Like the, like you really don't. The seven hundred when it came out was like I think a year or two. Like it was just sitting in, the, in the warehouses for years. Yes. Nintendo came out and said, "Like 
well, we have this thing that we made way back when that's better than the crap that people are buying now. Like that shows you how far ahead Atari was uh with in in terms of hardware. Like they knew what they were doing. They were they weren't Yeah, I mean to I mean to jump right into it. You're you're completely right. The 7800 is an 8-bit console that is technologically in every way shape and form superior to the NES. They had it in 84. They released it to a limited release, but they really kind of shelved it. And mm-hmm. then when Nintendo hit stride in 85, they're like, okay, screw it. Let's release it. And in 86, they would drop the 7800. Mm-hmm. And despite all of its you know, upsell points, and as Derek pointed out, it, it was completely backwards compatible. Everything you had in your old collection could play on this thing. But it still failed. Mm-hmm. And and I, I really think at that point, um, what hindered Atari, and I have not seen any proof of this. In fact, few are really willing to give a reason why the 7800 failed other than the library of releases was really kind of re-releases. No, it's the name Atari. It did. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure it did. Because it's, it's completely synonymous with the Crash of 83. And for those that need... A little bit of you know reference as to what the crash really means. You're talking about a th- what was it like? Was it 3.2 billion dollars? It was something huge. Here, let me pull up the crash of '83 so I can point it out. But it basically went from one gargantuan number down to 100 thousand dollars in mm. sales in 1984. I mean, yep. it was a huge sink. People don't forget, man. People get bitter. Consumers. No, no, no. Americans definitely never forget. And, and, we are capitalists through and through. And especially during that time. So I mean, especially when Nintendo was hitting, is like, especially when there's other stuff to move on to. It, well, I mean, like, the crashes. There we go. Three point two billion in eighty three, one hundred million in eighty five. Mm-hmm. That is almost a complete one hundred percent drop. It's ninety seven percent. That's a huge drop. And that was the biggest reason why Nintendo was walking across America trying to sell a game console like it was shattered glass. And those that retail trying to penetrate this market Mm -hmm. know it was scary. And the only reason they did it was because Yamauchi, the head of Nintendo at the time, was this ridiculously crazy guy who basically took his daughter's husband and said, you know what? You want to respect my family? Go to America and make me money on this. Do it. And he picked the right guy because because he did just that. And it was it, there were a lot of failures and a lot of crazy shit that happened in between. But uh, at the end of the day, that that was exactly how and why it happened. Mm-hmm. But if you were if you were Atari and you were sitting like you're the you're the sadly the guy that's running Atari at the time. Tramel, maybe, maybe I think it was. was it? Yeah, I think it was Tramel. And the, and this Japanese guy comes over and says, "I have this system. It's called the Famicom, and we're, we want we want to we want to give it to you so you can sell it for us." Like you wouldn't like people say Atari made a big mistake. You wouldn't do that. Mm-hmm. Why? No. Why would I do that? Well, and, and, and it, it marks one of the major milestones because do you, yeah, like exactly what you're saying. Like right before the crash. Like, basically, Atari was going to buy Nintendo. Like, NOA. Mm. You know, they were they were going to do Donkey Kong. They missed out on that for Coleco. That ended up going to the College Leather or Colorado Leather Company. 
And then Atari almost had the opportunity to buy Anna away and would have taken over everything. Could you imagine? Like, And I almost wonder if it would have been a problem because, again, Nintendo will come in and put limitations on all kinds of things, including the distribution of mm-hmm. games. We talked about it last week. You could only release five games per year under any one publisher for Nintendo, mm-hmm. and that was a strict rule Nintendo set. And it pissed people off, and I think Americans would be strong-armed into not doing that or wouldn't even think to do that in the first place. Mm-hmm. But the Japanese like kind of forced their traditional nature upon you know America. And it's really funny because in Japan, those rules didn't exist because they didn't have that problem. Because at the end of the day, people kind of forget that Nintendo started its – or Nintendo – video games started their life, especially console gaming, in America. I mean, we're the ones who established it. We just kind of screwed it up, mm-hmm. you know, at a certain point and had to start over. Now, but. rolling it back a bit because you, you just said, like, you know, they lost Donkey Kong to Coleco or whatever. But there, there was a Donkey Kong for Atari, right? Made by Coleco. Okay. Okay. Yeah. That's what you're yeah, saying. Yeah. I, because I remember, I remember a white cartridge, and it was cool. Yeah, but the Coleco version of Donkey Kong was close to arcade perfect, about as close mm-hmm. as one can get. Right. In fact, many argue that the Coleco version of Donkey Kong, which I've honestly never played, um, but want to, um, is better than the NES version. Mm-hmm. Which the only reason that's surprising is because Nintendo made both. Mm-hmm. You know, um, but at the end of the day, you know, Coleco, I think, is also technically superior to Nintendo. That was the whole point. The NES was not a technological powerhouse, mm-hmm. much like the Wii. It was it was due to to volume and, and the experience it offered. It really didn't have much to do with graphics and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, now, Derek, did you own all Atari systems? Because you sound like a, a super Atari fan. I'm not an Atari fan, and yes, I have owned every Atari system. You own them all. <laughs> well, I'm glad you're here because I've heard that, like, you came in with the enthusiasm for Atari, and even now talking about it, I can hear the pain in your voice about the impending doom. I feel we talk about the failure of Atari. Get <laughs> to the next two, which are coming up. Like the, like the 5200, I feel no, I feel no regret over the 5200 failing because I think it was a bad machine. The 7800, look, it went up, it, it it fought the good fight, and it died. Mm-hmm. Oh, you know, it, it it got in the ring, and at least he got to, to, to throw a couple of punches. The next two that are coming up, uh, um, Jackson and Jack. Yeah. Right. Those hurt. Like, I feel like I just chill. No. I feel bad about what happened. Well, and, and we'll jump into those real quick. The one thing I wanted to point out, and I'm sorry, I got kind of scatterbrained, so I forgot to mention this. I think the biggest reason why Atari 7800 on top of um, Sega's Master System, another gem that Derek was the First one to call me out on talking shit on. <laughs> and I own a Master System. I own a Master System with like 38 games. I'm very pr- proud of my Master System. Um, ALF is the shit. <laughs> um, and Ghostbusters is best on the Master System. I don't care what anyone says. Having said that, I think the biggest thing that hurt them was Nintendo was hyper-aggressive about this stuff. And Nintendo made people sign deals where basically if you made a Nintendo game, you could not re-release it on any other platform. And this was the anti-American. <laughs> you know what? You would not be the first to say it. And I'm not going to sit here and say that that's not completely true. No matter how many times you dice this, no matter how many times you look at the story, 
it still kind of ends the same way. And that's kind of true. Is that, you know, Nintendo knew that if they can monopolize the market, they're set. Mm-hmm. And that's why shit like, I mean, this, this stretches even into the Genesis era. Batman on the Genesis, which is supposed to be some big, whoa, you know, I've, I've never played the game myself. It's not that hard to find, but apparently it's this great, amazing thing when you compare, you know, pre-Super Mario World, pre-Sonic the Hedgehog, you know, 16-bit games. And it was all delayed for like two years outside of Japan because Nintendo had um, Sunsoft sign an agreement that once they made the Batman game on Nintendo, they couldn't release it on any other platform. And there are so many games that suffered from that. Um, especially, it explains why Tengen's games um, on the Nintendo are all Sega games. I mean, it's, it's why we have Altered Beast mm-hmm. on the NES. And it sucks. <laughs> Trust me. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so, so despite all that going on, um, the next thing that would come out and again, Derek, I I have to say I owned a Lynx back in the day, so I will have positive things to say Mm -hmm. about this because the Atari Lynx is actually very impressive. I like the Lynx, man. Uh, so this is Atari going, okay, we're going to blow people away. It's 1989. It's right before the Game Boy. We're going to release the Lynx. It has... Full color display. I mean, it's gorgeous. It really is, and it looks. I mean, it looks the part, right? I mean, it looks om- It looks somewhere between eight bit and sixteen bit. I don't know if you know, from a spec perspective, where that ends up. Do you know think, anybody? I'm pretty sure it's a uh, it's eight bit, but it used the color. I think it had like a sixteen bit chip in there because I know it had the colors are on. Like I remember four thousand ninety six colors keep popping up in my brain and sixteen yes. bit stereo sound stuff like that. So yeah. Yeah, you're correct on that, and I'm trying to look in uh, the specs as to exactly what we're talking about. I remember the Lynx was synonymous with, um, be, I think because Epics helped build it, didn't they? Um, it, California mm-hmm. Games is first and foremost a Lynx game. I don't care what anyone says. <laughs> like, it really is. Uh, there's no there's no getting around it. Like, I mean, California Games was the Lynx, and the Lynx won was really goofy because it was made to be ambidextrous. Remember, you could play it yeah. front side or back side. Yep. It was kind of like a cocktail cab. Mm-hmm. You could flip the and flip everything. You could, you could play it. Like like if, like if you have a a tablet now, pretend Lynx was the first tablet. Where number, yeah. you could hold it. Some games you would hold, hold it playing straight up and down. Some games you hold it uh, sideways. And if you want to, you could flip it over and play it like that. You mm-hmm. don't see like, where do you see that anywhere these days? I will say, I love the Lynx, but the first Lynx was ugly. Yes. It's pretty hideous yes, it <laughs> when was. you look at it now. Here. There's more plastic than screen on that thing. Here's a picture of both, but uh, the initial one you see when you pull this up is the original Lynx. It was gray. It had, like, a two-inch screen or something, <laughs> which, which the s- for the record, was massive the s- back in the day. <laughs> the speaker grate on that thing is always bigger than the screen. One giant. But at least it was front-facing, right? <laughs> it was one speaker, but I believe you could, like, put headphones on, couldn't you? Mm-hmm. Yes, it had stereo sound when you put headphones on. That is correct. No, no. Um, Link- its resolution was 160 by 102. <laughs> 16,000 pixels, buddy. That's right. Now, see, I've asked you, Fred, like, I'm on my whole handheld, retro handheld kick where I'm just yes. buying old handhelds. And uh, and I asked Derek, too, like, what should I go for, Tyree Lynx or the Lynx 2? 
Like if I'm gonna like so, put it, so don't get the Absolutely. don't get the first one no. just for nostalgic reasons. Just no. go for the second one. I like the first yes. one uh, only because I have giant hands and it's uh, comfortable because it still has the curved back on every and, and everything. Mm-hmm. But in every other way, the Lynx Two is a better is a better system than the Lynx. Plus, um, and this is worth noting, uh, <laughs> the Lynx had the Lynx Two had slightly better power consumption than the Lynx One, and, and I guess we should talk about it. Both the Lynx and the Game Gear, which would later <laughs> come out in ninety one. Yeah. Um, notorious for sucking batteries dry. Um, the Game Gear is probably the worst. I think in two hours mm-hmm. it can down six double A's. Yep. But the Lynx isn't far behind it. I think it was four hours. And the Lynx 2 gave you like six. But this is why, and this is again why Derek was, was big to push on me. Um, there was an AC adapter. And uh, I do have um, a Lynx in my area for sale for about 50 bucks. And it comes with the AC nice. adapter. Um, it, and Derek also, um, it was stereo for the links too. The original links was mono. Oh. Now the original links looks, I'm looking at the picture. It just, it looks cheap. It doesn't feel like, it up. It's, it's heavy. Is it? Yes. It's wavy. Yeah. Yeah. Like, the second one looks solid. The first one looks real plasticky. And it's really interesting because if you've ever held them, it's kind of the opposite. Is it? The uh, Lynx 2 is a lot lighter in your hands, or at least it felt like it to me. I like um, I like heavy systems, man. Lynx 1 feels like something. If someone broke into your house, you ain't got nothing to worry see, about if that's in your hands. See, that's me. I'm, I'm old school. I like stuff with weight. Like, you put batteries in it, and you can throw it to a car window. Like, I'm all about that. Like a Game Gear. You could you could boost a car yeah. too with the Lynx One. I I'm pretty sure. I don't know for for certain. Yeah. But you could definitely get through a side window. That's right. Um, and Derek, actually, this would start the uh, bad math for Atari. The hardware was a 16-bit processor and a 16-bit graphical processor, which they called a 32-bit system. They add things up a little bit. They they actually add numbers up. Unlike everybody else who just goes by specifications. Exactly. If they have two 16-bit chips and something, they're going to call it a 32-bit system. They, that's what they do. Smart. The, the one thing you got to give it credit for, uh, aside from everything else, is it had a 64KB RAM. Now, before everyone excuse me, judges it by today's standards, just realize the Commodore 64 was named as such because it had 64KB of RAM and would take cassette tapes and take 15 minutes to load up this 64k and play a simple game whereas the atari Lynx could do it on demand when you put a cartridge in there instantly and california games was nothing more than from what i understand a c64 port or an ambidextrous port where it was co-developed for both consoles at the same time and the cartridges, because I, I remember this, because I remember taking my links to school and showing it to my uh, programming teacher. He didn't care about the links. He was more, he was enthralled by the cartridges, which are basically credit card, like credit card size little mm-hmm. cards, and that you would just slide into the system. And like everything else, where it was actually like a big rectangular cartridge you would put in. Here, it was actually yeah. just the a small little circuit board you're plugging. It was it was great. Yeah, I mean, it was basically like a smaller, like shorter version of the TurboGrafx-16. But remember, it had that little notch in the top. But I think it was only just to grip it. I don't think there was anything actually in that plastic area. 
Also, I was going to say something else, but I forgot. So never mind. Oh, <laughs> uh, guys, you need to also remember, uh, before you start talking crap, because I know people are, are listening to this saying, ah, I remember the Lynx is a piece of shit. <laughs> think, of, yeah. think of your kid and you see the Game Boy and you're not a Nintendo head. You're not like, oh, look, uh, Mario or whatever, or Tetris or blah, blah, blah. And you just see the Game Boy and then you see a Lynx. It's like night and day. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Full color, great sound. All these great games like Blue Lightning and and Clacks, and then you have oh, yeah. you have the Game Boy, which the graphics are kind of sucky, and even when they do move fast, they're blurry. It's, well, it's yeah. funny. The Game Boy blur. It's, uh, Trees always has to remind me that I'm not adjusting for the Game. No, Boy it, Fred always shows pictures <laughs> of like just a, a still picture of a Game Boy. He's like, it's pretty good, and I'm like, uh, no, put that in motion. It's and I'm not going to lie, it's because I play most of these on Super Game Boy, and that really will, you know, kind of bias your mm-hmm. your opinion of it. Because when you play a lot of these Game Boy games on a, a legit Game Boy, it, now, it changes things significantly. With Derek just saying Clax, I just got, like, all these memories flowing. Wasn't Clax, like, the posted game for the Lynx? Wasn't Clax always on the box and always... Was it like a big? It was kind of co because Tengen slash Atari games. When when Atari kind of makes its split, Atari Games is allowed to make arcade games and software, and they go on to do Tengen and do their own thing. <laughs> they made Clax, and it was kind of three D esque. Yeah. And so because the Lynx was Epics and Atari, it was kind of a co thing. Like either Clax was the Lynx game. Mm-hmm. Or it was Epics doing California did, games, but those are both synonymous with the. Did Clax come with it? Like, how no, come? I'm, depends on which version you bought. Okay, because I'm that's what I'm remembering. From now. what I understand, I just went into the closet and I picked up my Lynx bag, which <laughs> I brought going with me for some strange reason. Uh, inside, I have two Lynx ones, Ooh. and I have wow. two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight games, including NFL football, actual NFL license. Wow. Uh, Paperboy, uh, Gauntlet, Rampage. Now, these, like, just the name, like, I want to play Rampage now. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, Midway, like, I mean, it, because they could port them over, and Midway did a great job with the ports over on that. I don't even know. I think Atari took over those, but, I mean, they were great games. Rampage is great no matter what how you get it and the Lynx version was really good do those i've played that you have two original lynxes yes do they work uh i do not i, I can try to turn them on but i'm pretty sure there's no batteries in them i just what well, why do you have two of them <laughs> oh crap does this have batteries in it sure. <laughs> <laughs> because inside here is also you heard it here first table, which uh, we haven't talked about but Lynx is i think the first uh, not not just handheld console. I think it was the first console oh. that had networking built into it. Yes, infrared. Actually, Game Boy did it too. But now, Lynx, on the other hand, could do up to Shoot. what four or eight. What? It was a bunch. Oh my God, when Lynx came on, oh, you guys are killing me. I gotta get a Lynx. I'm on. E- well, wait, no. I'm on, you ready for this? I'm on eBay tonight. The Atari Lynx had several innovative features, um, including. You ready for this? The ability to network up to 17 other quote-unquote comlinks systems. Most, most games, uh, you can hear Derek playing 
in the background. I'm so jealous. I know. Oh, God. You're going to make me drop 50 bucks tonight, Derek. And I keep saying that every week. Eventually, I'm going to post a picture of me buying that link. Anyway. Let's get 17 people. Each got up links. to 17 people, although most games only networked what? four to eight. What game has a I think Rampage was three. What game? Does it say which game has a 17-person link? Pod's uh, Adventures in Slime World. Oh, there you go. See? Has it ever been played with 17 people? We should get 17 linkses. It will be the first. Well, maybe we'll be. We'll yeah, find each your heart out, those people who do the fucking double dash, like, four GameCube com link. Yeah. Forget that. Bet, Let's do 17 or 18 linkses together. I bet we could get in the Guinness book because I guarantee you no one's ever done that before. <laughs> I will buy a Lynx for that cause. would do that. I will totally do that. <laughs> um,. The links will get redesigned with the black version that we've we've talked about. That's you know a little more boxy and has a larger mm-hmm. screen. Um, I prefer this version, but I can see either way. Um, from a nostalgic that's collector's that's what I'm saying. perspective, the links one looks much better. I think I think it's more aesthetically pleasing, even though, you know, I guess from a consumer market standpoint, um, you know. Uh, the Lynx 2 is probably better. Uh, the other thing that really hurt the Lynx was it was almost twice the price of the Game Boy. Game Boy was 90 bucks. This was 180 mm. um, 180 though, for what it offered, amazing. Mm-hmm. And they were a lot of arcade ports. In fact, Derek, and I don't know if you've ever played this game or if you have it, but I'm told Ninja Gaiden on the Lynx right. is, like, arcade perfect. Yeah, it's incredible. Did but it I'm also have... I, was playing, I, was, I started playing Rampage, and I was... I was... <laughs> I've also heard awesome things about Double Dragon, and that's my weak point. I love the arcade version of Double Dragon, despite how shitty it is. I have all 200 points on the 360 version. That was like 27 hours. Um, one of the links is supposed to have like a perfect thing of Wolfenstein, or oh, one of those, one of those oh. games. I think that's the Jaguar, which we'll get. Are you to, sure? But... I thought the links had a, uh, the handheld had a first-person shooter that was supposed to be. Like a, the yeah. one that everyone talks about really is Blue Lightning, which was kind of like Afterburner, yeah. and it was it was the shmup. I'm told I absolutely have to play as a shmup fan. Well, it's not it's not a top down shooter. It's 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 more yeah. No, it's like behind the plane, from what I understand. Yeah, it's like, just like Afterburner. It looks and and this is where the low resolution kind of helps it, like full color but low resolution and the small screen really helps. Believe it or not, it makes the games look a lot better than they would like if it was on a, a giant television or something. It just looks really good. Oh, no, I believe that. And, and again, Derek, it, you'll learn this about me because I've been, you know, doing this for a little while. But my term of shmup is very broad. I consider Star Fox to be such. And I even have dabbled into considering games like Contra and Gunstar Heroes to be shmups to a certain extent. Yeah. But, uh, but, yeah, so... Wait till Shmup uh, Appreciation Month mm. in March. There'll be a lot of. Fun. And there was a there was an Atari Lynx Wolfenstein 3D. Uh, was there? Yeah. You're, you're making that up. Jesus Christ! Making- How much <laughs> does that cost? You just wrote. You just, you just poured it over yourself. <laughs> <laughs> I just wrote the code just now. I could have sworn there was. I'm actually sweat a bit when I turn when you, when, you, when you turn something on and he's like oh, I just never and all of a sudden it pops on and it starts playing I'm like oh my god. I'm surprised you're still on the show. We've, we've, <laughs> I'm not going to lie. We've lost, <laughs> we've lost a little bit. I can hear it. It's so, the lease is so off. Uh, compared to a piece of crap Game Boy, how I know. does that not take over? Like to, oh, uh, 
this day. Trees, there was a deathmatch um, version of Wolfenstein planned. It was demoed but never came All out. All right. Um, but if you own a uh, a flash cart for the Lynx, I'm sure that's not a niche market whatsoever. Um, apparently, it's it's a ROM that is available. But um, <clears throat> anything else you guys want to say about the Lynx? Uh, I want one. I, I want one now. When the boy color came out and, and the Turbo Graphics uh, effects color thing came out. Still, to this day, I still say the Atari Lynx was the pinnacle of like Atari saying we're better than everybody else. Like to this <laughs> day, like we, like every other system, you can't. Well, this system was out at the same time, was just as good, or blah blah blah. Or the ColecoVision was better than the twins. The Lynx was Atari saying, "You guys don't know how good we are." To me, that's that's what it is. Oh yeah, and it came out like I mean, it's notable. It came out at twice the price a month after Game Boy. But you know what? I'm still saying, you ask any of us, had we been back in those days, like Derek said, mm-hmm. and been in the same position, mm-hmm. I would have been damn proud to to just go, really? That's what Nintendo's doing? Here's the links. And I, I mean, back when I was a kid, I remember this. I was eight years old. I was like, oh, shit, we got to get a links." <laughs> 200 bucks wasn't that far-fetched. It was expensive, but it wasn't that bad. And games were like 30, 40 bucks. That wasn't crazy. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, let's face it. These were, I mean, for a lot of its library, if you look over its library, it was a ton of arcade ports that were pretty damn perfect. They really were. And that's that's very notable. To this day, we still, at least I do, migrate to those games. You know? Um... But uh, Lynx, big deal, um, you know, and, and again, at this point in time, Atari Games has gone off and done its own thing. It uh, it did Tengen, had some issues there. We'll, we'll probably cover Tengen or Atari Games at a different time. It's doing arcade ports. It's, mm-hmm. it's borrowing the Atari license. But <laughs> Atari Inc. Huh? Did you talk, did we already go over the split part where Atari split into two separate Ataris? Well, and well, that yeah, you know what? I kind of danced over it because I got into the links in <laughs> in '89. But where did they split? I'm trying to remember where they split. They split in the late '80s, I think it was. Atari Computer and Atari Games. Yes, Atari Computer and Atari Games split, and Atari Computer stuck with the hardware, which is who we're basically talking about in Atari Games. Here we go. Um. In July 1984, Warner sold home computing and game console divisions of Atari to Jack Trammell. Um, under the name Atari Corp, $240 million in stocks were given to the new company. Warner retained the arcade division, continuing it under Atari Games and eventually selling it to Namco in 85. Um, so basically in 84... This is when it when the split happens, and so this is why we see a lot of interesting hardware like the Lynx mm-hmm. and later the Jaguar, you know, kind of coming from Atari Inc. And that's why. And now um, see Atari, huh? people kind of see Atari Inc. as a true Atari because Atari Games was sold to Namco, and so they're like, well, that's not Atari anymore. That's now that's basically a division of Namco. So when people think, like when 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 the split happens, people kind of at least I do, I consider. 
Atari Inc. Atari Computers, the the true like Atari Atari. And I would agree too because um you know I mean pulling back the veil and we won't really talk about this until a later date but uh, um you know I do kind of cover it um, on Gaming History 101 in in a couple of places but Atari games. Also, Tangan, especially in, in relation to the NES, does some questionable business practices. I've heard some of the interviews and the Retronauts stuff, and I'm not too keen on a lot of the things they were doing or what they they kind of felt about it. Plus, it kind of frizzled and fried once that well dried up. And you sit there and look at things like the awesome vector game like Atari, or I'm sorry, Atari's uh, Star Wars in 83, and then you look at what it became, and it, it, it's, it's a little disheartening. Um, so like Derek, I kind of lean with the Atari Interactive. Um, you know, again, the games division's cool, but the logo belongs to Atari Inc. and Interactive and, and, and things like that. And, um, you know, with the recent bankruptcy that's talked about, which we'll kind of touch base on at the end of this, um, you know, I mean, this is, this is Atari Main, Atari Inc. Um, they have just licensed out the ability to make these games under under their property. Also, I really hate the way Namco takes on Nintendo head-to-head because Namco doesn't really have the gusto to do so, and Nintendo finds a niche and, and really builds a market out of it. And I hate that, you know, this this all got Atari involved. Mm. I don't know. Atari Games has a sordid past, mm. which we can discuss at a later date. But anyway, <laughs> the next thing they'll do... All drama aside, is um, uh, not learn how to do math and think that two thirty-two bit processors equals a sixty-four bit processor with the Jaguar. I will defend it. Also, I love the Jaguar, so I will defend the Jaguar here too. I I will too. It all depends on. How I you love do. a Jaguar. It's the one thing I don't have, and I'm I'm really pissed about. Like it. people say that, well, they added up processors. Well, if they actually added up processors, it'll be like a hundred and forty-five bit system because they. Had- <laughs> they had a 16 bit, a True. couple 32 bits in there, and some other. Like they had all the a bunch of processors in there. What they were going over, I believe, was the bus. Which at some people, that's how you're supposed to do it. You're supposed to count how True. many. The 64 bit bus, the 64 bit system. Mm-hmm. So that's because some other crazy people over there didn't count it like that. All of a sudden. Mm-hmm. It's well, it's important to note that the Neo Geo did the same thing when they claimed the Neo Geo is a 24-bit console, and no one said shit about it. Yeah, nobody, nobody, nobody wanted S and K. Yeah, that's totally true. <laughs> um, now, real quick to talk about hardware, the Jaguar. <laughs> uh, sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking I'm a European yeah, I know. car driver. Um, anyway, the Jaguar. Um, did run a 26.59 megahertz processor, the Tom chip, which is actually very impressive, especially for the time that it came out. What was the Jaguar? 92, 93? Uh, 90, 93. Came out late 93 in North America. Um, but yeah, ran a, a, a nearly 27 megahertz chip, um, had a central graphics processing unit that was a 32-bit RISC architecture. Um which is kind of unheard of. Its object processor was 64-bit architecture. Its uh, blitter was 64-bit architecture. And its DRAM ha- was capable of 8, 16, 32, and 64-bit memory management. So, yeah, a big deal. Um, 
it was also a co-processor with the Jerry chip. So the Tom and Jerry chips. Uh-huh. Um, 27 megahertz for the Jerry chip as well, which had a 32-bit processor. And this is why, because of the two RASC architecture processors, people say that the Tom chip was 32-bit. The Jerry chip was 32-bit. <laughs> Together, they were a 64-bit system. But <laughs> like Derek said, technically that's not completely true. Yeah. Because it completely discredits its graphics processor and a lot of the coprocessors that worked with it. Um, the same thing will happen to the Saturn. It's got a dual processor. The only difference was that the, from what I understand, the Jaguar was a lot easier to process or to program for. Like, at least made sense. They, they were made as, like, a pair to be working together, whereas the Saturn was kind of an afterthought. But um, The Jaguar's biggest um, failure... I believe the same thing as Saturn's biggest failure is that they, they couldn't see the future. Mm. And it is an incredible sprite machine, which at a time, all and you can't blame them for that because that's what all games were at the time. No, yeah, I mean, everyone took a gamble, and uh, let's face it, almost everyone went with 2D. Um, PlayStation was the only one who went with 3D, and they just happened to be right. Yeah, and the PlayStation sucks at 2D. To this day, it sucks at 2D. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Do not get your metal slugs. Do not get your shmups on PlayStation. Get them on Saturn. They're cheaper and they're better. They just are. And honest, if I was Atari, I would also, like, we have, look, we can make, look at the incredible games we can put on the system. It's great. Well, it can't do 3D that well, but who cares? Who does 3D? Nobody, that's not going to happen for years and years. And then... Saturn said the same thing. Saturn is also a great, a great 2D machine. But the, mm-hmm. that's when it came out, all of a sudden everybody wanted 3D, and so they kind of had to scramble, put out crap like Cybermorph. And-, mm. <laughs> <laughs> and you know what? Actually, Derek, I'd like to point out, and I've played this before, I have to stand by this. Raiden on the Jaguar yep. is easily the best version. It blows away the TG-16 version. And it is like almost arcade yep. perfect. Raiden is an amazing Jaguar Love game. Love that game. Mm-hmm. Amazing. Really is. If you have a Jaguar, you have to buy Raiden. I don't care how much it costs. It was the first game I had for it. I, I've owned every copy of uh, Raiden. I, I always say Raiden, but I've Raiden, Raiden. But I've owned every copy of that game <laughs> that you could buy, like for any system I've ever owned. I love, and it's all the oh, same it's a, it's game. Great game. Even when you play Raiden one, two, three, and four, whatever, they're all the same. Same. I will say oh, that I think it's Raiden Final. No, I think that's I, not I, I, Final. But there's a there's a Raiden four. I yeah, think is slightly different on the three sixty. Or Raiden Aces. I got Raiden Aces too. Yes, <laughs> I got I, I, all the offshoots. But yeah, the Jaguar yes. version's awesome. And um, I love I love my I you know I lent my Jaguar to my brother my older brother, and he's like, I don't know if he sold it on me, but it's gone. It doesn't exist anymore. I lent it to him because he wanted something. It's an expensive console. I recently um, was contacted by someone who was like, hey, you you want a Jaguar? I got one. And they wanted to sell me a Jaguar with a handful of games, including Aliens vs. Predator and Tempest 2000, because, of course, those, those are, are going to be in any collection. Yeah, staples. Um, and I, I I'm I'm gonna say right now is about a, a 150, and easily you could piecemeal it together to about the I, same. So. I think my older brother gave it away for a six pack or something, and I'm not even making Jesus that Christ. Up. Like it was just disappeared. The hardware is an easy hundred bucks. He, he didn't easy. appreciate it. <laughs> he didn't appreciate it like I did. <laughs> um, but uh, 
And I mean, the the this the console in and of itself was quite impressive. I remember being a kid in '93 mm-hmm. and seeing like articles about the Jaguar, and especially any time they would show that title screen of Aliens versus Predators, mm-hmm. sold, sold. Aliens versus Predator had the best title screen because it looked 3D, mm. even though it wasn't. <clears throat> that and and Derek's right. I mean, from a sprite-based perspective, there were so many ports that were just so awesome. Tempest 2000, they made an emulator based purely on running on PCs, the Jaguar hardware with Tempest mm-hmm. 2000. It's like the only thing that emulator mm-hmm. runs. And that should tell you something right there. And Tempest was not a game I particularly cared for. But Tempest 2000 is is gorgeous. Yeah. Like, it's awesome. Yeah, that was another system where Atari, that was actually, they were they were building at the time two different systems. They had two of them in development. They had the Panther and the Jaguar. Yep. The Panther was a regular old 16-bit system, nice, not bad. And then they were like, well, the Jaguar is going to be ready about the same time. Why don't we just, why don't we just put that on instead and just beat the crap out of everybody? Mm-hmm. Because that's what... Plus, if they were paying attention to Sega, they were like, maybe this whole making a 32-bit add-on for our ca- cartridge system and making a disc system, not the smartest thing. Yeah. That add-on. 32 <laughs> Show about 32 You do a whole show just about 32 x mm-hmm. And it's like... Uh, I, I've, been, I've been tempted to do so. No. <laughs> I mean, the Jag was great, but there was there was definitely shovelware for that game. Like, I, I remember... Sp- being in the store and being like, I want to buy a game for my Jaguar. And there wasn't a lot for it at one point. And you would just buy a game, like you would gamble and buy like a racing game. What was it? Checkered flag? Is that what it was? Or what was the racing game? Yeah. Your flag not playable because the developer said Checkered going with some different cool. kind of, we're going to do a different control screen, controls, mm-hmm. whatever, where it made the car basically uncontrollable with the joystick. But it was based for. If, yep. But if you have, I, I'm guessing if you had some magical steering wheel, it worked nicely. That did not exist and still mm-hmm. to this day exist. But so checker flag was not playable. Club race, yeah. I think, is the other one not playable. Yeah, there, there was just games you brought home and went. I just wasted some money here. <laughs> we should probably point out there's a bunch of buttons on the Jaguar. Best controller, controller so ever. like the Intellivision. <laughs> There are overlays. Well, actually, it, it worked pretty well if you use the big red buttons in the D-pad. But when they got the overlays involved as kind of like something to lean on, that's where it becomes a big issue, especially nowadays with um, buying used Jaguar games. Although I've heard there's a website that lets you reprint the overlays, mm-hmm. which makes sense. You would think, you would hope that exists. But I mean, again... These are all labors of love, guys. I, so, like, if you find it, support. I'm it. a like I have big hands myself, so I love big controllers. Like, I love the big original Xbox hamburger controller, where everybody hates it. Oh, the Duke. but um, I play only the, on the Duke. The Jaguar controller, I loved it. I loved it, and I loved the overlays. Like, especially like something like Alien vs. Predator, where you had three separate ones for whatever character. Playing. Those overlays were, great. and they look good. And um, you know, Wolfenstein had a good one, and um, yeah, the controller is awesome. I don't know Atari. For some reason, after the 5200, they loved those goddamn number pads. Like they, were- <laughs> they did. They really did. They thought the Intellivision was onto something, <laughs> and they never quite got over it. <laughs> um, I'd also like to point out the Jaguar did a couple of interesting things. Um, namely, um, interestingly enough, Michel Ansel's uh, Rayman 
um, the only definitive version which has like hints of the the beta version of the game or something. It has some of the early levels as an unlockable when you beat the game, and that's no easy game to beat. But if you do, that's an awesome mm-hmm. prize. Um, <clears throat> I think it had a VGA adapter, which gave it 640 by 480 uh, resolution output, like to a, a screen. And then obviously there was the Atari Jaguar CD. <laughs> you, you can make your own network connector too. That's true. That's true. Yeah, it did go online. Derek, did you have the CD uh, attachment? Did you have the, the the Jaguar CD thing? I love the Jaguar. I was I got it the first day it came out. Uh, oh it came God. with it came with I think Blue Lightning CD and also a mix some kind of uh, mix some you got it music video yeah. thing. And it did yep. a thing where it said you can play these new great things called CD. Was it CDJs or CD plus G? CDs plus graphics. Yep. And I was like, oh. This New. This is a this is a new star right here. You can, <laughs> you can see those you play that they they made like four of those I think in the history. Of <laughs> yeah. Plus they would run karaoke games, but no one told you that. Oh, I did not know that. I did not know I could play. And apparently, apparently, now this is a quote unquote. However, apparently it's a, it's it's currently legal under the abandonware clause and not the loosely. Abandonware clause, but the the official abandonware clause, um, to uh, to download and 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 burn um, the encrypted demos, the black ice, white noise, native and atomic demos. However, um, despite there being no copyright protection, there is uh, some some legalities involved in burning the games. But having said that, apparently the Jaguar had again. Some of the best ports, including probably the best non-PC port of Mist. True, true. The balls to the wall, amazing Primal Rage port, which <laughs> I never see sell for less than hundred bucks. I'm not kidding you. That is saying a lot because I will not pay a hundred bucks for an arcade cabinet of Primal Rage, <laughs> let alone a CD game of this. And people will do it constantly for the Jaguar CD. I'm not kidding. Thing about it too, because like the when you say like the ports of if it's a 2D game, the port on a Jaguar is going to be fantastic and like the Primal Rage. Yeah, I've heard the Primal Rage port is like arcade mm. perfect. Did you- there was also a Highlander game that was exclusive, and apparently, if you want Dragon Slayer yeah. and you don't have a modern day console, you are playing it on the Jaguar CD if you want. Yeah, the there you go. Space Dragons and Space Ace. So. Oh. Yes, there was. I used to pride myself on owning all the Dragon's Lair discs, but I never had a Jaguar. Get on it. (laughs) I'll do buy that disc, just own it, it. put in the collection. Absolutely. Man. I remember, though, I think think Space Ace was broken, if I remember correctly, where you couldn't, it was, like, impossible to get past a point for some reason. Oh, so it had, like, the Samurai Showdown problem on Sega CD? On Sega CD, if you don't know, you can't beat Samurai Showdown. It freezes at the last <laughs> boss. <clears throat> Sucks. Why well, I think Digital Leisure just doesn't... Well, that wasn't Digital Leisure. Was it Digital Leisure? Where they just they took their game and said... Oh. Uh, you know, it might have been, now that you say that. You play video. Um, yeah, I mean... I mean thing now. They've done... Digital Leisure done, has done all the other Dragon's Lair in Space 8. It was. It was Digital Leisure. Those guys. You're right. I hate... 
Yeah, they fucked it up. Man. What was... I'm pretty sure. That can put video on a screen. Digital Leisure will put out Mad Dog McCree, Dragon Man. Land, six on it immediately. I have the Mad Dog collection that they released on Wii. You know what, um, Jaguar game? It wasn't a Jaguar CD, just a regular Jaguar game that I, I loved. Um, and Derek, you help me with the name. I forget a lot of names. It was the Big Mech. Was a steel iron, iron I, soldier? It was a iron soldier. So- that iron game. And then there was also Iron Soldier on a very on the CD, I believe, and also on the Nuon, which was kind of like the the unaf- oh the Nuon. There was also an Iron Soldier on that one too. I've done limited coverage on the Nuon, and if we weren't running out of time, I would totally uh, get into it. I, but yes, Iron Soldier and Iron Soldier Two was. I remember Iron War. Soldier being. Um, it was real blocky. Oh no! Iron Soldier Two was the Jaguar oh. CD version. Well, the first, the first one. I remember it being real blocky, but I remember it being real smooth. Like when you would shoot stuff, it would they would just like collapse into like like blocks. Like if you, you blew up a building, it would just like these perfect little cubes, and it looked yep. really cool. You know, it was a good effect. It was named in the top ten reasons to own a Jaguar. It should also be noted that Iron Soldier 3 was supposed to come out on the uh, PlayStation 1. Really? It got canceled, but apparently there are um, ROM I- or there are ISOs available that, online. That was that one of the first mech games that made it like a, a sim. Like that It was Steel Battalion before Steel Battalion. It was cuz it was real slow. Like you didn't run around like you were like a big lumbering giant, you know. You were yeah, a tank, it was awesome. Basically. That was a great game. Also, I've heard Double Dragon 5 is good on the Jaguar. Has anyone played this? <laughs> no. I didn't know Double Dragon 5 was good on any console. I think that might be the best version of a sucky game. Oh, okay. <laughs> Box quote. Um, okay, well, unfortunately, we're running out of time, although this was great, and we kind of covered what I wanted to, but Atari would go White on. White Man Can't Jump with a first... Had, had- <laughs> okay, yeah, let's talk about White Man Can't Jump, because I haven't played this, and this seems like the most interesting game I've never played on a on a console. Is this what I think it is? Like, it doesn't look like it's licensed from the movie. It, it was, I, right? It was licensed from the movie. It was a bas- Holy it was shit. A bas- it was a basketball, which I believe had, um, like, uh, video characters. Like, the, char- the sprites were made out of video of people. Yes, that's what it looks like from... What I'm reading, and now. but what I thought it was so great because when I was playing it, all of a sudden the guy started cussing. Hey. I was like, "Yes, there was swearing, and it, due to its poor graphics, bad language, and other factors, it's hailed as one of the worst Atari Jaguar games of all time." It also was featured by SeanBaby.com, which should tell you a lot <laughs> for those that did. Know. The game have uh, Kadeem Hardison talking shit on the side. It may have. Because <laughs> that's worth it right there. Yeah. Ooh, I should also point out um, it's a niche title, but um, Worms oh. apparently is amazing on the Jaguar. I miss my Jaguar. So. Wish my brother didn't. Away. I, I <laughs> that I don't have a Jaguar. I want a Jaguar now. I've wanted a Jaguar for a long time, but now I really want one. It's a cool wow. system, man. Cool controller too. There was the, the one game that I bought though that I the only the only game for a Jaguar that I bought that I was upset that I bought it where after I was like oh, why did I buy this was a game called Fight for Life which I kept everywhere I read about it's it like it's from the same guy who made who made uh 
Virtual Fighter. From the maker of Virtual Fighter. Yep. And it, but it would be like Lee's Vonton. I was like, that doesn't sound like a Japanese name. It's like, how did he make? And but I got it anyway, and it is probably the worst Jaguar game I have ever played. It is so it, even worse than Bubsy. And Bub. Yep, Sean Baby says its biggest detriment was that it was a 3D game on a 2D console. Yeah, yeah I'm, oh, yeah, I'm watching a YouTube video of it right now. It looks like a, it looks like a tech it's, demo. And it requires a um or a, to to most appropriately do the moves it requires a uh, special controller that was super hard to find the jaguar pro six button controller for buy a six button controller for a controller that had 21 buttons on it (laughs) i know right (laughs) um but uh yeah anyway atari would go on it would it would come out with uh most recently it's come out with a lot of games it recently did um the ghostbusters games and then it did the uh dungeons and dragons games um, it, it has entered bankruptcy chapter 11, I think, but for those that are negative Nancy's, you don't have to worry too much. Um, they've got their biggest properties on the line and they will easily make that money back. So Atari's not down. It's, or not out. It's just down. Um, they'll figure it out, but, uh, Days of- but Atari has an amazing mm-hmm. past. It really does. <laughs> and, uh, if you want to go again, uh, Trees, your uh, your co-host Dana from uh, Easy mm-hmm. Mode Unlocked uh, said it best when uh, it Atari. It doesn't get much more retro than That's that, true. and it really doesn't. <laughs> so um, we're gonna wrap up. And actually, Derek, if you'll hang around, I I wanted to ask you a quick question. I want you to be the tiebreaker on something. So um, Russia, but uh, but thank you for. Uh, for coming out and talking about Atari. And Derek, thank you very much for joining us. It was a pleasure to have you I'm on. glad I'm able to talk to Atari about people. And there's, there was not one person that said, but didn't Atari suck? Like, no. That's, I like. No, no, no. I, I, you know, I, I don't, I don't think retro gamers would mm-hmm. care. <laughs> but even if modern gamers would, come on, mm-hmm. man. Like, Missile Command is enough to justify it, and that's one of the weakest properties they can vouch what? for. Missile Command is awesome, but, I mean, in, in the Pantheon? Mm. Nah, it's worse Come than on. Missile Command. There is much worse than Missile Command, but it's it's the weakest of Atari's properties. And that's Atari a property would be combat, and even that is a fun mm. game if you try hard to make it fun. <laughs> Yeah, especially if you put Mortal in front of it. Nice. Come on, it has um, 99 modes. But, uh, what other game has 99 modes? <laughs> combat. <laughs> I, I like 84 where you're the giant bomber and your friend is a, the three act, the three little biplanes. And, and you always, because, yes. wow, you press once and I cannot dodge. And it's impossible for me to dodge. <laughs> and this started the uh, the whole world of co-op makes it harder. <laughs> Atari But, uh, but okay. So Derek, we, we need you to settle something real quick. And yes, I'm going to make you cast a vote here because it's the best way I can think to, uh, to break this tie. Um, we do our game club next week's going to be, uh, crash bandicoot, which was our, uh, January game club and going into February. Game club you're talking about. Explain it. Um, we do a game club. One of the shows every month is a game club. We play a retro game. You know, traditional style, and we talk about its historical background and, and playing through the game. Plus, it forces us to play mm-hmm. the game. 
Um, so going into February, I put up to a vote and we got a tie. So because it's like a, a partnership style um, month, I, I figured we would uh, we would do partner games, and the tie comes down to Eco or Ico for the PS2 oh, or Newtopia for the Turbo Graphics 16. Wait, is it, wait. First of all, I'm not. I'm upset that it's not Echo, which it should be. Echo the Dolphin. That's what I said. Right. <laughs> yeah, I got excited. There were actually four games in the vote, but the tie came down to Ico or Eco <laughs> for the PS2 or Newtopia for the TurboGrafx-16 because the save feature was integrated into both the PS3 and the so, uh, so virtual console. So did we just ruin your whole thing because me and Derek wrote in Echo, write in vote? Well, you know, I, I kind of have a, you know, I, I'm kind of tempted to just say, fuck it, let's do Echo the Dolphin. But no, 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 I, I promise, though, Echo will come up within the next few uh, months. I'll say uh, Ico on the, yeah. Okay. Then that's it. That's settled. Uh, the game club for um, February will be Ico. All right. Um, there are a couple ways to get it. You can get it on PS2. It's a little rare. It's about 20 bucks. And then PS3, you can either buy the uh, HD Remake Collection on disc, or you can buy the digital version for, I think, 20 bucks on PSN. But uh, we're going to be playing Ico. Um, it's not a long game either. I've told it's been. I've been told it's like five or six hours. I've never played it, so... We will be talking about Ico for our early uh, March game. So pick that up. It was a tough call. I thought that Newtopia was going to take it, but a lot of people put in votes for Ico, and uh, it got right up well, there with it. So I, th- I think with Ico, you'll get a lot more people playing it, too. Because I, I don't so think a too. lot of people have Turbo Graphics laying around. Well, it's on Virtual Console and mm. PSN, which is PS3, PSP, uh, Vita. But you say that, and then people don't actually mm-hmm. play it. So, um, for what it's worth, though, for those who want to play Newtopia, the save feature is awesome. So pick it up, and maybe we'll retouch on it in the future. But uh, for now, it's going to be Ico. I like Ico, it. Um, which apparently is the only... Um, uh, oh, what is it called when you're es- uh, escort mission that I'm gonna love? So we'll see. But uh, anyway, so uh, trees, where can we find you during the week? Let's pimp your shit. Again. Easy mode unlocked. That's the letter easy mode unlocked.com. Come check out our forums and uh, find gaming history 101's forums over there too. Your own little corner. Yes. And uh, we're we're talking about stuff. That's where you can vote. On uh, you could have swayed the vote between uh, Ico That's and Utopia, right. but it's going to be Ico. And then uh, me, Dan, and Rob every Monday at seven. And uh, congrat, you know, big week for Dana. She may yes, um, may not be given birth this week, <laughs> but I think she she may yes, be. Uh, so, <laughs> for a comfort level, I hope she doesn't give birth on the uh, show. Uh, on the want, flip side, for a attention level, I totally I want I want ratings. Have the baby break the water during the podcast. That's what I say. We'll put her in a tub, mic her up, baby, baby cast <laughs> live. And either way, good luck, Dana. Um, having a daughter is an amazing experience. I speak mm-hmm. from personal experience. So, um, and Derek, thank you very much for coming out and hanging yeah. with us. Thanks. I feel kind of like the mistress because we're 
Uh, I'm your home away from home over at allgames.com. <laughs> All games. You totally are. Allgames.com, where you can find not only uh, Gaming History 101, but also a ton of other uh, great podcasts and a great community of gamers. Yes, and I'd like to pimp a couple of them, if, if I may be so bold. Um, definitely the B-Team, which is my uh, – the B-Team podcast is, is, is kind of my contemporary gaming podcast. Plus, none of this would have happened if it wasn't for VGO, Video Game Outsiders. Mm-hmm. So, um, And actually, Matt Bradford from Video Game Outsiders will be on shortly. Um, hopefully in February we're going to be talking about um, – uh, why am I blanking on it? Twin Galaxies which will hopefully have an, a, an interview from Walter Day. So he probably won't be live on the show, but we'll have an interview. And uh, I'm hoping to get John on to talk about his uh, his arcade games. So hopefully we'll have those as well. Cool. Um, but, uh, but yeah. Um, and if you want to find us, uh, GamingHistory101.com is where you can find all the retro stuff. I've got write-ups. I've got videos. I've got tons of media. I'm just basically trying to find the best outlets to talk about each game. So check mm-hmm. that out. That's where you can also find the podcast feed and um, information on the game club. But definitely find us at allgames.com. Um, we are here every Sunday night at 11 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And also the B team is at uh, 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on Thursdays. And I think Video Game Outsiders is 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on Tuesdays. Am I correct? Yes. Hopefully. Yes. Okay. And uh, thank you to Tiger Claw, Derek, mm-hmm. and everybody who is part of the All Games Network, plus everyone who came out and chatted in the chat with us. It's great to have you guys along for the ride, and we're going to call this. So have a good week, guys. Enjoy your retro gaming. Later. Peace.